The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. Welcome to Jack Major Live, exclusively on PoppyChuloRadio.com. Today is Wednesday, April 1st. 2015, and I'm your host, Jack Napier. <laughs> Welcome to the big show. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Wait a minute. What day is it today? April 4th. Get up close and personal with some of your favorite male porn stars on one-on-one with Poppy Chulo. Created by Poppy Chulo, one-on-one showcases exclusive interviews with the adult industry's most popular male performers. Here's your host, Poppy Chulo. Welcome to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. Today is Wednesday, April 1st, 2015, and I'm your host, Poppy Chulo. Listeners, please welcome back to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo for our 100th broadcast, multiple award-winning fan favorite, adult industry veteran performer, director, and all-around entertainer, Jack Napier. Welcome back, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can add uh, Radio Prankster to that now. <laughs> exactly. But I'm bummed. Awesome, and thank you for letting me do that. I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Great Absolutely. Idea. <laughs> it's the 100th episode, and we're on April Fool's Day. Why not? That's correct. We got we to gotta kick it off right, man. Give people something nice and special. Exactly. <laughs> so, Jack, you're back for part three. We've had an incredible two parts that have aired already here on poppychuloradio.com. Listeners, if you haven't listened to part one or part two, head on over to the archive section, poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives, and download them because there's a whole bunch of rich Jack Napier history on uh, both of uh, those parts, part one and part two. So, Jack, why don't we jump into part three? Word before the FCC shuts us down, man. Exactly. Those are are pretty in depth, no doubt, man. So, yeah, definitely. You guys definitely want to go ahead and check that out and download it and cop it before it gets uh, (laughs) removed from the airwaves forever. (laughs) Too hot for the airwaves. (laughs) Too hot for the airwaves. Yeah. So, uh, where we left off last time, you were talking, or I should say we were talking, about Voyeur Media, and basically we got to the point to where you had signed 
and exclusivity with Warrior Media. You had right. the release of uh, your first series. It's big. It's black. Right. It's Jack. And yeah. my question for you is, uh, how long were you under contract with Warrior Media? And if I'm not mistaken, because you've uh, told me this story before, something happened towards like maybe well, the I mean, middle a middle of your run with voyeur there was some sort of like change in ownership and that kind of thing that sort of yeah, affected was... your contract that sort of didn't affect your contract and that kind of thing well okay well let's 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 start here it kind of it didn't affect my contract but during my stint at voyeur media there were a couple of contracts that i signed uh i think my if i remember correctly my first one was for a year and I believe my, my second one may have been for two years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the, I could be mistaken. It could have been just for another year. Generally, there's, there's not like, you know, contracts that extend, you know, uh, longer than a year generally. Um, I, I think two years is the most that I've ever done or ever heard. Um, and, um, yeah, it generally doesn't extend, uh, uh, past that, at least to my knowledge. Um, they're just uh, re-upped, you know, we'll do another contract because I mean, so much can happen, especially in this industry in a year's time uh, in less than a year's time. So much can happen. So, you know, everybody wants to be safe on, on each other's side as a performer. You may uh, come into uh, more opportunities and more venues and more avenues of things that you can do and may want to do that, you know, your prior uh, or previous or, or current contract may hinder you from doing uh, and the same with, with producers, you know, uh, they may end up changing things that they uh, want to do or things that they are able to do or people that they want to do things with or whatever. Um, so just as a safeguard, a year is generally a, a standard time. I say all that to say this. I was um, at Boyer Media in total for about four years, and I guarantee you I didn't have a four-year contract. So uh, that to say this. My first contract was for a year, and then I ended up signing another contract. Now, as far as the changing of ownership, um, I, I will say that um, it started off with, uh, with um, Vince Boyer as the, uh, we'll call him the CEO, because he was pretty much in charge of everything that was going on over there. Um, to a point. And then at that point, uh, I think it was like, uh, sometime after it was definitely sometime after the second year, uh, going towards the end of that third year. Um, events was no longer, uh, at the company. And prior to that, um, the other directors, there were other directors. I was the first director there besides Vince. And um, there were other directors there. There was Donnie Tabo. There was um, Van Styles, who definitely went on to, to prominence, fame, and fortune. Um, he is the uh, creator of uh, visual apparel, visual styles, visual photography. He does a lot of blogs on the hundreds. Um, doing quite well for himself, man. He started off in the skate world came into the adult industry uh, via Chris Mann and Geo Team. Mad shout out to Chris Mann. Rest in peace, man. I that dude was a dude, man, for real. Um, so anyway, 
Um, and uh, yeah, he's somebody I had known for a while, so it was really cool to uh, to be able to work with him uh, on his projects, have him work with me on my projects. And um, same with Donnie Cabo, man. He's somebody that had been a, uh, a friend of, of Vince Boyer for a very long time. And uh, he had worked with Vince closely for a very long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, finally, um, he, he got the torch passed to him and, and got his chance to, uh, to direct series of his own. Um, so yeah, there was basically four directors under the, um, under the house, including Vince himself, because he was shooting his own series as well. Right. Um, but you know, for whatever reason that I'm not going to get into detail about right now, because again, these can, things concern people that aren't me, so it's not really for me to speak on their business. <laughs> so, but for whatever reason, um, speaking just factually and chronologically, um, there was a point where uh, Donnie Cabo was no longer working on his uh, uh, series. And then later on came a point where Van Stiles was no longer working on his series. And then later on, there came a point where I was no longer working on my series. Um, and then ultimately, uh, even Vince Lawyer was no longer at the company. Um, so, you know, bada boom, bada bing. So I was uh, doing other things again for other people for a couple of months. Uh, it was approximately three or four months. That seems to be my, my period, like three or four months seems to be my period being off the contract up until of late. Um, so what happened was about four months later, another gentleman, um, came into, into control of board meeting as far board media, as far as operations was concerned. And he is somebody that I had known also for a long time, pretty much since the beginning of my career. And uh, his name is Mike Adams. Um, Michael Adam, I'm sorry. Uh, let's call him Mike, Mike Adam. But um, yeah, he's another industry veteran. He's been directing since I can remember. Literally, uh, as far as this industry is concerned, he's been directing since I can remember. He was doing sales before that. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely has a grasp of what goes on you know, within this industry. And uh, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he considers himself, and he, he has been very resilient, and he considers himself to be very resilient within the industry. Well, I think it's funny that I'm laughing because he, he calls himself a cockroach within the industry. He's like, just like the nuclear war, you know, the only thing that's going to last is cockroaches. If the nuclear war happens, the only thing that's going to last is cockroaches. He's like, I'm like a cockroach, baby. No matter what happens <laughs> in this industry, I'm going to be here. I'm like, all right, cool, cool. Um, so again, I had a very good rapport with Mike and, um, Mike reached out like, Hey, Jack, you, your stuff, what you do, how you do it. Guess what? I'm here at Voyager Media now. Boom. Would love to have you come back. Came back, inked the deal one more year, but a boom, but a bing. And we're on our way. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, things, things started off really cool. Um, but I started to see, uh, similar patterns as 
uh, as I started seeing with, uh, with, um, my prior contract working on any events. Um, and eventually, um, I started to see less of, there was, I was not the only director that was asked to come back. I don't, be, I don't believe I was the only director that was asked to come back. I believe for a short period. I don't think, I don't think that, um, Van Styles came back. I do believe that Donnie Cabo came back for a short stint. And then it was, uh, just me and Mike for a while. And, um, after that was pretty much the, the demise of the production end of Voyeur Media. Um, I started seeing a lot of uh, compilation tapes. I started seeing a lot of outside directors. And when I mean outside, I mean outside of the country. Uh, I started seeing um, distribution deals happening instead of production deals happening and and again it was it, it was kind of a sign of the times on one hand because this is now we're getting into that that um that uh torrent site or i would say we're well into that that whole torrent site tube site thing started really kicking off pretty solid i would say in 2007 2008 and started really having a serious effect on the industry um, and people within the industry. So by around 2009, uh, and not only that, around 2009, 2008, 2009, um, the entire nation was feeling the effects of you know this this recession that was happening at the time in in um, in America, and because a lot of it had to do with real estate. A lot of people in California were feeling it more than anywhere else, just because, um, just because income is so real estate driven in California. You know what I mean? Real estate is a really big deal in California. So when all of a sudden real estate started losing value in California, it was a major, major deal economically for people who were out here. Uh, so that coupled with um, with, uh, I mean, I don't want to get into all this unemployment rate and blah, blah, blah. And, but one thing was a major factor about this time. Um, economy was bad, <laughs> period. So people were not buying things. Um, people were really uh, literally losing themselves in California because a lot of things they had invested in were plummeting and they're trying to recoup. And again, on top of all that, the trifecta, if you will, um, the world is being attacked by tube sites, the emergence of these tube sites, right? Not even so much the emergence anymore. At this point, the foothold of tube sites. So not only are people not spending money on, on the production jazz, but what's more, uh, they're now, it's now being ripped and being stolen. People actually are watching it still for free. So now not only is, is, uh, not only is there uh, a reason to not watch it or not buy it just because of the economic state, just people have to spend money on other things just to keep themselves going at this time. So not only is there just not a reason 
uh, or excuse me, a reason not to do it economically. But now with this foothold of tube sites, there is an absolute reason to, you know, never do it again. And a lot of people have definitely chosen to never pay for, you know, porn again. Uh, if you can do it for free online, you just watch it for free online, you know, a lot of people felt like that. So thank goodness, thank goodness, and thank goodness again for fans. <laughs> because, uh, man, our fans stuck by us, man. Our fans like, hey, we support you. We support what you do. We support the company. We support the things you're doing. We're not about that thievery. We're not about that this, that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, fans are amazing. Really. Uh, <laughs> I can't thank you all enough. I kid you not. Um, so... Back to Boyer Media, all these things are going on, and I'm starting to see the changes within the infrastructure. And before long, uh, my contract is over, there's no renewal, and uh, yeah, um, production ceases at, uh, at Boyer Media. And it's just basically, okay, uh, we're going to distribute this and distribute that and make compilations of this and that, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that was pretty much the end of that. There was no more production of Boyer Media and no more series and this and that. Yep. There's a lot of foreign material being distributed. <laughs> and compilation tapes being made. So that yeah. that basically led to your decision to basically leave the studio, right? Well, no. Um, it, it wasn't so much the studio, or me leaving the studio, Boyer Media, the studio. It was the studio no longer doing anything. There was, mm -hmm. no, there was, there was nothing left to be done. It wasn't so much that I left, like, oh, I'm leaving. There was, there was uh, you know, there was nothing else happening. I mean, I guess you could say that's why I left. I didn't, I didn't really consider myself leaving as much as I considered the the well drying up, if you will. It wasn't so much that I left the well. It was more like the well has now disintegrated and there, there is no more well. <laughs> there is no more water in the well. There is just an empty shell and um, it is no longer producing and I am no longer producing. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in a sense, if you look at it that way, you know, you could say that I left, but, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that I just left a, a thriving company. Uh, I left something that was no longer functioning, like, you know, a bicycle with no wheels. <laughs> I could sit here, I suppose, on this bicycle with no wheels, where I won't get anywhere fast. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, in that sense, yes, that is, that is why I, I left. And so, thus far, you've basically been, uh, for lack of a better word, a free agent. You, you know, you've been doing That's work very good word, yeah. kind of all over the place, but you don't have ex an exclusivity anywhere. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So we're, now we're caught up to present day. So my question for you now is... Uh, and this isn't something that was touched on in just talking about the various studios and production companies that you've been working with. What brought on your urge to direct and produce? There are a lot of performers out there that are content with being just a performer. They're fine working with the different companies, working now with the different websites and whatnot. But, but there are 
that um, I don't know let's say a handful or two handfuls of performers that actually do want to work behind the scenes and direct their own content, produce their own content. I know that you sort of talked about the difference in when working with West Coast and Voyeur in the sense that, you know, when you were with Voyeur, you you had a little bit more of a hands-on approach where you could go and like, you know, edit, be there with the editor so that your vision can come through. So my question is, because you didn't start off directing, what brought on this urge to want to produce your own content for the companies for me, that you worked with? It was, for me, it was, it was, it was pretty simple. Um, I was, from the beginning, from, from 1999, I was basically put in uh, head first as the face of what I was doing. I mean, for a good minute, I really was the face of West Coast Productions. If, if West Coast Productions had a face, it would have been me. Um, and that's not to be boastful or bragful, uh, or, or anything like that. Um, but there was a time where if you said West Coast or thought about West Coast productions, you were probably going to envision me at some point somewhere. I was, I was pretty much the face. Uh, when, when we went to, I'm not saying like the girls did nothing, but there was no girl in particular for a while associated with West Coast. There were, there were, there were plenty of guys, or excuse me, there was a handful of guys, there were a handful of guys that were associated with West Coast, like Lex, and there was Mandingo, and there was Justin Pipes. You know, there were a handful of guys that were associated with West Coast. But I was their only contract guy, and if there was some, if there was somebody that was going to go represent West Coast at a show, or, uh, or an event or something like that, it was going to be me. Um, if there was going to be slicks and posters made out, and, hey, this West Coast production title, and there was going to be a singular guy or a singular entity, period, to represent it, it was going to be me. Uh, again, I was that guy that, that had that contract, and I was the only one that had one at the time, and, you know, I was I was a, a serious investment for them, so they definitely wanted to make it pay off, so yeah, I would market it that way. I was marketed in a very large way. So, I mean, I literally was the face of the company at what point. Um, so, that being said, when I got my series as early as I did, it, again, it was my face, it was my name, it was me in every scene, it was me on the box cover, it was, uh, it was, me addressing the audience, even on the box, like, hey, if you take a look at your box cover right now, it's going to look on the back, it's going to say something, blah, 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 whoop, blah, wham, hope you like it, Jack, right? And the truth of the matter is, those words were not mine, you know? And uh, the sayings were not mine, you know what I mean? You could think they were added after effects. Well, I was at home, I mean, afterwards in, in, in uh, the art department, who I never, I couldn't even tell you who was in the art department back then. <laughs> I don't know. I never met them. Um, I was at home doing whatever it was I was doing. Um, but um, then I come back and I, I see what the product looks like, right? And initially, I was really so proud just to be doing what I was doing. It was, it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling, you know, just being chosen to not just live this life, not just work this job, man, but just to have this opportunity, you know? Um, 
And I was very proud of it. And I wanted to take it very seriously. And then something happened. I saw, I saw a, a volume. It might have been as early as volume two. Or it could have just been scenes and other things. But I saw things that I didn't like. I mean, it was simple as that. I saw things I didn't like. I started caring about how it looked. I mean, very early. I knew what I didn't want it to look like uh, very early. I didn't want it to be sheepish. I didn't want it to be cliche. I didn't want it to be predictable. These are all things that I knew early on, but I didn't know about production value at the time. You know, I didn't know like things like a soda can in the background matters and people will like, look at that because I, I wasn't looking at it like that. I didn't know that other people were. Uh, but if there's like a chord in the shot or if there's like a, a, a shadow, a hard shadow, if there's a reflection that shows the camera guy with the camera, these are things that I wasn't taking into consideration because I, they're things that I never noticed. And all of a sudden, continuity was a big thing for me. Production was a big thing for me. All this production value, everything that makes everything look as good as it does or as good as it's supposed to became a big deal. So I would just speak on it. Like, hey, let's do this. We want to make sure we do this, such as this, blah, blah, blah. Can we do this? Can we do this? And before long, I was doing it before I had a title. I was already directing things. I already knew I didn't want this, this, this entity, this project or this product that had my name and had my face, that people are going to come and talk to me about it. Show like, hey, Jack, remember that scene where you did this? Because they will talk to you. They will absolutely let you know whether they have your access to your phone number or they have access to your email or they have access to your social media or they're seeing you in person, they will absolutely let you know. Hey, do you remember this? Hey, do you remember this girl? Hey, remember the time that you did this? Hey, what was going on with this jazz that happened on by the couch? And what was that stuff that you could see? And I was so funny when I saw it. So basically, even if I don't see it, there's a bunch of people that do. And I'm making this for them. Not just for me, this is just like my escapades. Because, yeah, I mean, if it's just for me and my pleasure, I could have been shooting, well, pretty much the type of stuff that you see online now. <laughs> Amateur POV, yeah, that's crazy popular now. It took me a while to get adjusted to because it's like there's absolutely no production value whatsoever. And I come from an era where that was a big thing. So, um, yeah, if I didn't care about it, then my stuff then would have looked how things look now. Like very grainy, bad lighting, shit on the background, clutter, you know, my back to the camera, all this shit that looks so bad, but for some reason it's so popular now. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, long story short, my, well, I've already had the story long, but uh, my reason for wanting to direct was to make sure that my product was as good as I knew how to make it. I wanted to make sure that if it had my name and my face on it, that it was quality and it represented me the way I wanted it to be represented. Not something that was just put together to make money. Uh, not something that, you know, I just paid some girl to have sex and just put on a camera to recoup or whatever. None of that. You know, I wanted this to be, to look like, hey, this, this guy cares about what he's doing. He's got an idea. He's creative about it. He gives a damn. He gets it. He understands the mechanics. It was, it was, uh, it was a project. It wasn't a gig. It was a project. And I, I wanted my projects to, to look good. Mm -hmm. How did the titles come about? Because from hearing your story in part one and part two, 
I don't know if this is the right assumption to make, but it seems as if in the beginning, in the very beginning, you were kind of given titles. And I, I don't know, was I that was. the right assumption? Absolutely. Okay. I, I never, never did I ever have anything to do with titles um, because I was not on the single end. Um, and I didn't know about what works as far as sales go, you know, and I could do the things I didn't learn until much later. Um, but, uh, there's, there is a reason for everything that is done, right? In, as, even as far as, as giving titles to a movie, there's so many reasons why a certain title works or doesn't work or one title is good or it's, or it's not. Um, and I understand a lot of that now but I didn't understand any of it then. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Titles were just given. There's something about Jack was basically, uh, I mean, it's almost obvious for the sign of the time, uh, but there was a very popular movie at the time called There's Something About Mary, right? Remember that? Uh, Cameron Diaz? All right. Very, very popular movie. Um, and search engines, internet, it started to take toll. People starting to buy things online, order things, reference things online, doing web search, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You type in, there's something about Mary, and bada boom, right? It comes up. We introduce, and we use that. It was a tool to use. So um, now we're full-blown with it, man. Any hot movie comes out, <laughs> just do a parody, put triple X on the end of it, you're rolling. <laughs> it's like taking it to the whole next level. Um, but uh, yeah. Before, it was like, okay, we'll just do a spin off the title. And uh, it worked. There, there was something about Jack. It was, I really liked that title because it was not assuming. For, for certain things, you have a title that leaves no question for misunderstanding. It, it leaves no room for misunderstanding, no question about what it's about. Like, for example, if the title is shoving 14 inches of black cup up a white girl's ass, you're not really going to stumble or sit there and rub your head about what this movie is about. It's, it's pretty much there. You, yeah. you get it. All right. So with the title, there's something about Jack is very non-assuming. And, and again, it put, it, it, again, it puts the emphasis on me. You know there's going to be girls, you know there's going to be sex. Why? Because you're in the porno section of your favorite liquor store or you're in the, uh, you're in the adult bookstore, period, you know, and you're buying this. So you know there's going to be sex involved. So why, what, what, is, what is this something about Jack? What is this about Jack? What, 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 is, what is it, right? It piques the curiosity, right? You pick it up, you turn around, you look, and, and again, it's ringing. It's like there's something about Mary. That's, that's what's popular right now. So, okay, there's something about Jack. Who's Jack? Who's this Jack guy? Whatever. You turn it over, you pick it up, and girls are bugging out. They're shocked to death on the front of the cover. Like, oh, my gosh, they're holding their faces. Their jaws are dropped. <laughs> right? Kind of interesting stuff. You turn it over, and, you know, clearly one of the uh, largest members in the industry is doing, uh, you know, unfathomable things to girls half my size. <laughs> So that that basically what was, was what was going on behind the title, and I, I really liked that one because it was not assuming, but it worked obviously on multiple levels. Um, again, later on there were there were uh, with the Vince Boyer titles, you know, there was Black Bottom Girls, and there was Black Jack, and some of them were real simple. Uh, there was Riding Dirty again. There was a 
uh, that was based on a car that I owned and um, a very popular song at the time, Ride and Dirty. I don't know if you, I know you remember that. You're from the 305. You yes. definitely remember that song. Okay. So <clears throat> it was simple, super popular song at the time. We grabbed the title, Riding Dirty, I'm Having Sex in This 1968 Impala, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, we're, and we were doing the absolute most. Riding Dirty basically is when you're doing anything in your car that, you know, would constitute a moving violation. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're doing, yeah, anything in your car that would constitute a moving violation uh, or, or worse is riding dirty, right? So if you don't have your license, that you don't have your insurance, or you got alcohol in the car, or a gun, or some dope, or whatever the hell it is that you shouldn't be doing while you're driving your car, you are riding dirty, right? Me, I was getting blowjobs and having anal sex or whatever while I was driving down the street. <laughs> it's riding dirty. It's perfect. All right, so yes, that was uh, incidentally, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, if you have somebody or riding you while you are driving down the street, if you're getting, you know, getting cowgirl while you're driving down the street in the uh, purple lane, or if you're doing <laughs> the riding or you're doing the blowjob or whatever the hell it is, right? Yeah, you are officially riding good. <laughs> there you right. go. That is that is a, that does constitute a moving violation. <laughs> all right so that was basically it with the title some of them were simple made sense you know to the point like it's the biggest blackest jack is really popular i don't know if it was uh popular because of the title that was one of actually the longest titles that i've ever worked under um generally with with titles and porn you kind of want them to be short because you wanted to be people something that people will remember something that, that people will enjoy saying or whatever but um this this was an anomaly um, it's big, it's black, it's jazz. That's kind of a long title. Six syllables for a porn title is, mm-hmm. is, is a bit. <laughs> like if you were to say something like uh, uh, the impossible, right? Whatever. It's almost four syllables, I guess. But I mean, even still, it sounds like a, a drawn out title for a porn movie. The impossible, or whatever. Return of the impossible. Now it's like a ridiculously long name and it has probably nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's just a long title. A lot of syllables. People don't like a lot of syllables. They like it short and sweet. Uh, butt bangers, uh, ass flashers, uh, titty squeezers, or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> they want it quick, short, and to the point. But it worked out. It worked out. I mean, you know, it was it was uh, one of those to the point titles. It happened at a time when when I didn't you know, uh, pretty well who I was. You didn't even have to put the last name on the cover. You knew who it was when you, when you heard Jack. There, there were many other Jacks in the industry, and there still are a couple. There's, there's like uh, Jack Vegas, Jack Lawrence. Um, uh, people ask me about the, you know, different Jacks all the time. Uh, people hit me up like, hey, Jack. I'm like, yeah, Jack who? <laughs> yeah. But um, as far as the movie was, movie making Jack was concerned, uh, as far as guys having their own lines and titles and stuff like that, I didn't really have to put my last name on because there weren't a whole lot of, uh, you know, name recognition competition titles out there. You know, except for there was this one. There was this one uh, called Jack's Playground. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that was a name recognition thing. I hate to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it and I'm going to tell you why. Um, 
I believe that was put out by Digital Playground. If Correct. I'm not mistaken. Okay. So there was a lot of confusion about that, especially initially. Uh, because initially when it was promoted, it said Jack's Playground. And all you saw in the promotion was a big black dick coming out, big black and red dick coming out, and this girl staring at it, right? Said Jack's Playground and all this good jazz. People immediately assumed that it was me. And even I was there when I first saw it at the show. I was looking at it like, I don't think I did this. I mean, I know I had I had visited Digital Playground. I had been on um, Tara Patrick's radio show when she was with there. She was with uh, Digital Playground at the time. But I was pretty sure that I hadn't really worked with Digital Playground at this time. So when I saw this, I'm like, did maybe somebody buy some content or something like that? You know, because that happens when, when owners have content, they'll trade it or whatever, or they'll sell it after they, you know, gotten their use out of it or feel like they have, um, or whatever. But that was not the case. This, I feel, was just a name recognition thing because it was simple. It just said Jack, Playground, that was it. And there's a uh, black pick, that's it. Um, and I, I, again, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that I am. When it was first promoted, I think it said Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack's got a big black, or Jack's got a giant big black, there's something like that. Uh, big black, giant thick, or something like that. Well, it wouldn't have said big black because, no offense to Digital Playground, they really don't shoot interracial. That is my point. That is extremely my point. But here it is. It did say black, I believe. I'm looking it and, up right now. It says Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack has a video camera, so suck Jack's dick. Oh, thank you very much. Then it doesn't say that. Okay, but when I first saw this, right, there was a black dick on the on the imagery. It was black. It was like black, black. Like I know black, and I know digital playgrounds, and they know the difference between black and white. <laughs> there was no question about whether this was white or not. It was not. Like, so much so that I was staring at it, wondering whether or not this is something I had done or not. Again, if you look at the... I don't know if you have the initial flyer or the initial promotion when I first saw it. And maybe I'm just bugging out, man. Maybe I am. I don't think so. But maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm absolutely losing my mind. But I will say this, back to the name, forget the imagery, let's just get back to the name recognition, right? The Jack name at that time was, was um, it was buzzing, let's just say that. It was definitely buzzing. And we all understand how name recognition works, right? So uh, it was Jack, and again, not that I was the only Jack, but have you, have you ever seen that, that, that uh, title? Have you ever seen Jack's Playground or seen an episode of Jack's Playground? Probably, I don't remember it. All I know is I'm looking at the box, and on the back it says Jack all over the place. But it says at the end, directed by Jack, under the influence of Robbie D. Yeah, I don't know who that Jack is. I don't think there is a Jack. I don't think there was. Like I said, I think it was an absolute name recognition thing, and that's what I'm basing it on. That was the last thing I was going to say. I don't think there was ever a Jack. I, I, I know about the... There was Jack Valentine or Jack Lawrence, uh, Jack uh, uh, Jack Vegas. There's a uh, there was a Jack Spade. 
There's uh there's there's you know there are different assorted jacks throughout the industry before me, during me, whatever. Uh, during my time, before my time. But with this one thing, the way it popped up, the way that it did, it was so anonymous. You know what I mean? And it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> like, oh, Jack's got a camera, suck his dick, whatever. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess. Um, and then it turned out, I guess it was like a POV series or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, I thought it was interesting. It's a reality-based supposed right, type right. of thing. Although right. I don't think there's a Jag, so I don't know how much reality Yeah, is so there. I guess that's, a, that's solidifying the point that I'm trying to make. There was definitely an awful lot of name recognition that was going on. The same way that we do the, 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 the something about Jack, we did it with the something about uh, Mary because of the name recognition of something about Mary. We just changed it a little bit. Same thing with, uh, like I said, fast forward to today. We're just par- parody everything. The Avengers movie comes out. Boom. We're going to do Avengers triple. We're going to do Avengers triple X parody it. We're going to get suits just look like it. We're going to go past this name recognition. We're going to get their outfits that look just like it. We're going to get locations that look just like it. We're going to get vehicles and accessories that look just like it. And we are going to legally do it under the, under the uh, law of parody. Right. So we're going to not just do name recognition. We're going to do everything recognition. <laughs> we're going to make them look exactly like the characters in the movie. We're going to reference points of the movie. We are going to basically parody this movie, right? Triple X, have them fucking, boom, legal, done, right? And it, it took off in a big way, especially with, uh, with popular TV shows from the past, uh, for for people that are now growing up in this age and had you know childhood thoughts about whatever whatever anything from Scooby Doo to the Facts of Life to the Golden Girls or whatever, go figure. But uh, but yeah, they parodied all these things like, hey, what would it be like if you could see Velma sucking Jackie's dick? What would it be like if you actually saw Fred, you know, screaming Daphne or whatever, right? These are things that we have all thought at some point in time. Well, many people have thought at some point in time. And now we can legally put a spin on it and put it out there for people. And so they do. And it was like mad, mad popular. Uh, I think it still is because I think uh, I've got a friend who just posted up about how she's going to play, um, uh, not Black Cat, but she's going to play. Who's the, who's the, the one in the Avengers now with the... Uh, with the red hair, the one that Scarlett Johansson Black played. Widow. Black Widow, that's what I thought. All right, so, yeah, so my friend uh, Violet, she just posted, oh, I'm getting ready to play Black Widow, you know, uh, Black Widow in the uh, new Avengers movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess they're having a new Avengers triple X movie coming out, so, uh, yeah. To coincide with well, the big screen adventure. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's what it is. That's what's going on. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's that's pretty much what's up. Okay. You've been directing for quite some time. Can you describe your shooting style for the listeners? And has it evolved throughout the years? Absolutely. I mean, and I think I've covered an awful lot about how it's evolved. But, but to answer the question, uh, to describe my shooting style, I, w- I would have to describe it in an evolutionary sense, because I didn't have one when I first started. Again, I was uh, I was under the tutelage of 
James Alexander to start. And then after that, I was under the tutelage of Yanni Searles, um, who let me know how to shoot certain things, why they had to be shot certain ways, what time to be, you know, shoot to, to uh, maximize things like daylight and uh, minimize things like hard shadows. Um, but as far as, um, and this, this, these are things that are on the technical side, uh, as far as my creativity, um, again, I, I wanted things to be very candid, spur of the moment. None of us are seasoned actors. I, I'm sorry, very few of us. We actually did have a couple seasoned actors. But few of us are seasoned actors. Most of us are coming out of, you know, nowhere, and a lot of girls are coming out of shit high school, you know. And we're just doing what we do. So I didn't want to, I learned quickly that I, that I would have problems trying to get people to memorize lines and, and have a certain emotion or act a certain way. And no. So my approach to, my approach to each scene was basically based on the girl's background. What I would do, my approach to the things that I did was I would talk to the girls a little bit, find out a little bit of something about them, and then see if I could implement something about them into what we were going to do for the day. That's, that's basically what I was going to do. If, if I didn't have something that I could pull from my life and put into the scene, I would try to pull something from their life, or vice versa. If I didn't have something that I could pull from their life, I would try to pull from my life. Or it might have been based on a current event that everybody was relating to at the time, <clears throat> like uh, Monica Lewinsky. You know, I mean, that was pretty much everywhere. So I don't know that I did necessarily a Monica Lewinsky episode, but it's just my, uh, an example. Um, so it was definitely done in the industry. There's Monica Lewinsky parodies all over the place. Um, so that was my approach. It was much easier just to have somebody reflect on something they've already been through than to try to have them act something that they haven't done or to have them relate to something and react to something that they're currently going through, you know, um, myself included, <clears throat> than to try to act something out. And um, that was my approach to the vignette in my earlier years. And my approach to to um, showcasing girls came a little bit more into prominence with uh, with Warrior Media years. Um, and again, Vince taught me a lot of things uh, technically about how to do things as far as production is concerned, um, things to do beforehand, things to have ready beforehand. And if you're, geez, this dude is like, I'm telling you, preparation is everything. Preparation is everything. So he let me know how to be prepared for any and everything. He taught me how to safeguard myself against any and everything production-wise. Um, so once we got that taken care of, same thing. I wanted to find out a little bit about the girl and see what it was that I could showcase about her. And then... That was my approach. I come in, it's still, I mean, essentially, we don't, we're not calling it the Jack show, but essentially it is the Jack show. Um, and what Jack is doing is showcasing his girls. 
that's basically it. So I come in, the familiar face, the host, if you will. It was like hosting my own show. That was my approach in my boy years. Before, mm-hmm. <clears throat> with the vignette stuff, I was basically a victim to a lot of things <laughs> that were happening. You know, things were happening to me, and I was just a victim that ended up with happy ending. You know what I mean? Because it was funny. Oops, it's time uh, to have sex. Yeah, right, pretty much. Guys, how'd that happen? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just here, you know, to unclog a toilet. Right, I'm just delivering the pizza. Like or I just ordered yeah, the pizza. Exactly, yeah. I was, I was very, uh, I remember that with Lex. <laughs> I just yep. ordered the pizza, yeah. Pizza girl comes in and, yeah. Okay, I was just trying to help fix your car. Yeah, exactly, right. I'm just pumping gas. Right. <laughs> I, I happened to tell, oh, wow, Michaela, probably cat. Uh, yeah, I, so, um, yeah, I happenstanced into a lot of things. And that, that was my approach because I was a nobody at this time. And it was, I, I don't want to call myself a nobody, but I was a common person. I was Common Joe. I was Joe Common at this time. You know what I mean? And I wanted my vignettes to have Joe Common approaches because, again, for Joe Common, we are most times not in control of the situation, regardless of what we want to say, regardless of what we want to tell our friends. Most times we are not in control of the situation. Um, and that's what I wanted to portray, just somebody who was fortunate enough to have things happen to him that he was not in control of that had happy endings. Like I said, I just all I was doing was, was uh, illustrating a bunch of happy, lucky stories. That's basically what it was. You know, everybody's got a happy, lucky story or know somebody who has a happy, lucky story and you share it, you know, with friends over a beer, you pound it out, man, and you watch a game or play some video games or whatever it is you do and you go on about your regular life. So what made me different at that time was just give people a whole bunch of these crazy things that just happened that I was not in control of. It just kind of happened. Just there's just something about this dude. There's something about this dude. That's what it was. This dude just happenstances in the pussy. You know what I mean? Like this. Shrugged shoulders and hands in the air. Like, how'd this happen? With the Void of Media, it was showcase the girls. Completely different. And the reason it was a different approach is because now uh, I'm like, what, seven, almost eight years in the business. And um, I can't just be like that guy who happenstances anymore. It's a new world. It's a new generation. People are like, we know who you are. We know you're Jack Napier. We know what's going to happen. We know you're going to smash. You've been doing it for like seven years. Even though there were a couple times in my earlier years that that actually did not happen. They actually left it on camera where girls actually left, did not have sex, and didn't come back. And <laughs> that also bugged a lot of people out. So I was like, wait, wait, what happened to uh, what happened to that that last girl? <laughs> Is she coming back or is she not? And sometimes we did that. Sometimes we had girls leave and they'll come back in a whole different volume. You know, I mean, it happened, and we would introduction. We kept kept it very raw, very real. I, I real. I always appreciate that. Um, but anyway, seven years later, people know who I am. They know what I'm going to be doing. They know what to expect. Like, okay, Jack, smash her out. So there was no point in showcasing myself anymore because people know who I am now. Um, so now, it's about showcasing the girl and making her, you know, the big deal. So who is this? Who is this chick that um, that I'm going to be doing this, that, and the other with? So what I wanted now was to have the best girls. I wanted to have the newest girls, the freshest girls, the hottest girls, whatever. Blah blah blah. Um, it takes a lot of times. It's, it's at times it can be very hard to come up with. Like, geez, 
trying to find a box cover girl, not easy, man. That's something else I learned from Vince, man. There's just so many things that you have to look for and look out for when shooting a box cover. I learned a lot from that dude. I kid you not. Um, but um, that was basically the approach. Showcase the girl. Come in as a host of a television show or whatever. Address my fans. Whereas before, I was not addressing the audience at all. Well, a little bit. Every now and then, I shoot the audience a glance or something or whatever. But yeah. For the most part, I'm now, for every scene, I'm talking to the audience and I'm addressing the camera and addressing the audience. Hey, such and such, we're over here. I'm at this house, such and such, boom, boom, boom. It's summertime, whatever, boom, boom, blah, blah, blah. And man, I met this girl with this or this call or agent, such and such. I'm basically letting them know how I came about these people now. Um, and then jump to the tease. Boom, get a little teaser of who the girl is, such and such, boom, bam, bam. And then you get a chance to see her and we talk to her. And she talks to us, so Q&A goes on, whatever, blah, 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 you know. Because you know what's going to happen, you know. So I try to give you things that you don't know, things that you're not going to get. I try to give you those first, the same thing that you're doing now, giving people the, the audience with little tidbits of information, the stuff they probably never would have known otherwise. That's what I was trying to give them about each girl, you know, in, in three minutes. As much as I could give them in three minutes while I'm trying to take a bra off. <laughs> Really? Tell me about your your aspirations and your dreams. Really? Cat farm. Tell me about this cat farm idea you're having. Like I was kinda of like a Pat Sajak mm-hmm. <laughs> We're gonna do this game show, but I'd like to know a little bit about you first. <laughs> before I before I pull your panties off, I was wondering now you said something about such and such blah 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 back in the makeup room. Tell us about that. Fantastic. And good luck taking the dick. <laughs> Here's your prize. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and that's that's basically what it was, man. We had a fantastic time. We sign out to the audience. Thank them for joining, and on to the next one. So, yeah, that was the style, and that was the, um, the evolving. Yeah. There are basically, in my opinion, to sort of simplify things, four different types of scene pairings with performers that is there's the one-on-one where it's just Mm -hmm. you and another performer female performer then there are two different types of threesomes there is the male female female threesome Mm -hmm. self-explanatory and then there's Mm -hmm. the male female male threesome also Mm self-explanatory and then Mm -hmm. there's something that i'm just going to generally group together as group sex group style sex where it's basically four people and above you know so from you know it could be like two couples to an orgy we're just going to consider that group style sex right my question for you is since you basically have done you know multiple scenes many scenes in each of those categories each of those pairing types which is the easiest to perform in and which is the most difficult to perform in uh, I guess that would depend on what it is that, um, one, what it is that I'm trying to accomplish, and two, I, it's hard to say what's more difficult. It's it's just a shift of focus, you know what I mean? It's hard to say what's more difficult. I would say each one will have, outside of one-on-one, the one-on-one is probably the least difficult, you know? Um 
once you get into multiples, you have just what I would consider a shift of focus because there's certain things that you, you're doing the same thing. You just have to do it differently and you have to be aware of other things that you know, maybe be aware of. So, for example, um, if I'm performing a one-on-one, I only have one thing to focus on. And I know that there's going to be uh, points where I'm more in control of what's happening and there's going to be points where she's more in control of what's happening, you know, depending on position or what have you. Um, and once we're in these positions, I mean, you kind of know what to expect, you know, um, you kind of know the things that are going to happen, aren't going to happen, things that can happen, things that can't happen, really, there's only two of you there. All right. So once you step it up, even that one notch, right, just to add that one other factor, um, there is... There's an area, even if you're directing it, there's an area that you, where you don't know exactly what's going to happen, what this other person's going to do or where they're going to be unless you absolutely direct them like hands-on, like almost manhandle, which, you know, you see from, some, from time to time. Um, or you may, you may have somebody be, or be working with someone who's just completely on point. And even if you have that and it's a wonderful situation, this person is everywhere you want them to be and doing everything you would like them to do. Um, there is, it's more of a volley of where the, uh, where the control is going to be. If you want it to be an organic scene, right? If I come in and I say, okay, this is what it's going to be. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Such and such, blah, blah, blah. I want you to do this and this and such and such, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's on board then if you at some point know what to expect, but there's still, like I said, that varying focus. Um, and I guess it, it doesn't necessarily make things more difficult, but there's definitely a shift of focus. Uh, I try to be spontaneous uh, when I can, and I try to have things flow on their own, and I try to have them be organic. Um, but the more people you add to that, um, the more things can kind of go awry. You know what I mean? So uh, if I'm just performing and the director says, hey, do whatever you want to do, then it's easy for me to just do whatever I want to do. But if I'm actually directing this scene and I'm also performing within the scene, um, then I have to be mindful of everything that's going on. So I have to be mindful of the third person and the fourth person, which, which means I have to shift my focus from what I'm doing to keep an eye on what is going. It's kind of like how trying to have sex and babysit at the same time. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm just saying as far as, as far as your shift of focus, um, you have to be mindful of things that are going on. Um, or you just have to basically put your faith into the cameraman, which is cool, but at that point, you are no longer directing. At that point, you are just performing and leaving the directorials up to the cameraman. Um, so that's where I would say the difficulty would, would come in. As a performer, shouldn't be a problem one way or another unless you're uncomfortable in groups or, yeah, unless you're uncomfortable in groups. Uh, but as a director, you definitely have to have your mind on everything that's going on um, at all times, which definitely takes away from 
uh, being able to immerse yourself in what's going on um, as a performer. I like that answer. It's about as forthcoming as I could be. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Okay, so right now I want to allow the listeners to get into your mind when you're on set. I want to talk about the good and the bad of being on set. So what turns you on the most and what turns you off the most when you're on set? What turns me on the most is a girl that is into me, into what I'm doing. Um, I'm really into uh, intimacy. I'm really into passion. I'm really into uh, the grab, the squeeze, the kiss. I'm into all of that. Um, I would definitely say that's like the biggest turn on. Uh, Even especially when we're like not having sex yet. And she's still just kind of rubbing your back and licking on your arm or whatever. <laughs> That's just fucking hot. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Like, for example, if I'm, like, um, not directing, right? Let's say I'm not in control. I'm just performing. I'm showing up. And, and she's just, you know, geez, she's on me like the sweet smell of a fresh baked chocolate cookie. <laughs> While the director is saying, okay, hey, I want you to do this. And she's like, uh-huh. But still, like, bad focus on me physically or whatever. Um, girls that are there to enjoy themselves and have a good time, not just do as little as they can possibly do in order to, you know, get a check cut in their name. Um, things that turn me off the most is arguing on sex. Um, that I, I have walked off of sets because I've had arguments on set. Because when you're when you're when you're arguing, dude, and you're in a state of confrontation, a state of conflict, you can't you can't be hard like that. You can't. I can't anyway. I can't get hard. I can't think about sex. I mean, I shrivel to the sides with great because I'm in I'm in fight or flight mode. You know what I mean? Um. And these are things that I shouldn't have to go through because everybody should know what we're here to do. Um, so for me to have a conflict with a girl is bad because we should know what we're here to do. For me to have conflict with my with my crew, with my team, is absolutely the worst. That is absolutely the worst because not only do they know what we're here to do, I've done it with them time and time and time again. And even if I hadn't, if I'm directing and they're my crew, all they have to do is what I say. And worse than that, if we are arguing and it's happening in front of the female talent, she's looking at us like we don't have our shit together, which apparently we don't. And then what happens? She goes back and she's like, oh man, I was on set with Jack and he had this uh, cameraman and he was arguing with him, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It took us you know, half an hour, an extra hour to be there because they didn't have their shit together. Now other people have it in their head that professionally I don't have my shit together, right? And maybe that's going to, you know, sway them one way or the other as to whether they want to work with me or not. I mean, that is the absolute worst. Any type of conflict on set is the absolute worst. The majority of the work that you've been in can be classified as basically gonzo or wall-to-wall. Agreed. Woo! Okay, yeah, I'll say that. I'll say that, yeah. The majority of work that I have done, I would say, yeah, gonzo. 
Thank you. I would say that because <laughs> because I've done so much vignette with with West Coast, and there's something about Jack. I've done so much vignette. I've done a large body of vignette. Um, so I would say the large the, the just because of that, most of the work that I have done, excuse me, that I have directed. Most of the work that I've directed has been a vignette style. Correct. Like, Which if, sort if of encompass. If you were to split stuff up between features and Gonzo, that would fall closer to the Gonzo side than the feature side. Yeah, I, I suppose it, yes. it, it could. Just it, go it, it with could. me, because this is—that's where the question is heading. My question for oh, you okay. is: well, Okay, let's get to the question. Then I'm sorry. Yes, my question <laughs> is. Were features at all something that you wanted to try at some point? Was features a genre that are features, maybe I should say, a genre that you're at all interested in working in? Because the majority of the stuff that you've been doing has been more in the vignette, as, as you call it, uh, gonzo, wall-to-wall style, as opposed right. to a more storyline, all-encompassing, uh, feature film-ish style production. Okay, well, I've been in a few feature films. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was ever the feature, or uh, yeah, I've made appearances in feature film, but I would never say that I was, uh, you know, the featured part of the feature. Headliner. Yeah, not at all. I've never been a headline in a feature. Um, now. That being said, out of the, what, 15 years that I've been doing this, um, 11 of those years have been under exclusive contract with Gonzo Company. <laughs> so uh, I would not have had an opportunity to do these things while I was under contract. Um, well, yeah, well, I was under exclusive contract with these Gonzo companies. So leave the rest of that for, uh, leave for, what, four years from that, from that 15, from that 11, four years. And that would give us, well, you know what? I just, I lied. I'm sorry. I said that I had never been the feature of a feature film. And that's not true. I was the feature of a feature film once upon a time that was put out by uh, Penthouse. I believe it was Penthouse. Um, and the name of that feature was Jericho Brown. It's either Jericho Brown goes to town or Jericho Brown is coming to town. But... Uh, yeah, I played a 70s uh, soul brother number one type of character with the afro and the shades and uh, the tight jeans and the big belt buckle and, uh, you know, kind of a shaft-ish sort of character. Um, in fact, do you, do you ever watch... Uh, uh, Oh gosh, what is that? I watched the cartoon still. Dynamite. Um, Black Dynamite. Uh, Black Dynamite. Thank you. Um, you ever see the movie Black Dynamite? Yeah, Michael J. White. 
there you go. Uh, it was kind of a take on on that. Uh, it was called um, yeah, Jericho Brown goes to town penthouse. Yeah, there it is. All right, so it was basically a take on that, and a lot of the for those who haven't seen it, Black Dynamite was basically a spoof on black exploitation films of the seventies, right? It was a comic book spoof. So basically what we did was essentially the same thing, gave it a different title. And a lot of the things that, to, that they did to make it a spoof, uh, probably most notably when you see the boom might come down into the shot. <laughs> we did, we did the same thing. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, not just the bad acting, but the the, the bad writing, the uh, bad editing, just everything that made these classic movies classic. Uh, <laughs> the fact that they were just so bad that they were good. <laughs> um, that's what we did. So getting back to your question, I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure that I corrected myself before I said something that was completely untrue. Um. Doing features was never really anything that I was um, crazy interested in doing. I was never against it, but I was really focused on those 11 years about what I was already doing <clears throat> and doing the best of my ability um, at those things that I was doing. Um, if somebody had put me in the chair and said, Hey, we want you to do this this way. We are, we are a, uh, I was introduced to Gonzo company. I was introduced to Gonzo. So I would have been introduced to features and feature directing and things like that. Um, then I would have learned probably, uh, to appreciate that more and hopefully not to hold it, uh, above Gonzo style or make it, you know, quote unquote better, than Gonzo style. Um, each one has their their pros and cons. Um, now, the the feature style obviously comes with a lot more uh, prestige, if you will. Uh, these are things that are done. They're generally bigger budget, and they're generally backed by larger companies. And um, Larger meaning they've been around for a longer time. They put out more volume. They, you know, they're, uh, yeah, larger. <laughs> um, and that's that's cool. If you if you really want to get your name and your face and make this impact and and you know, be considered this or that within this industry, um, it's fantastic. You know, it's a great opportunity. Um, but that being said. I never looked at it. I looked at all of this as work. There's definitely creativity and there's definitely uh, heart and soul that goes into everything that people are doing, hopefully. Um, but I always saw it as work. Um, it's a great job. It's fun. It's not like you're putting tar on roofs in the summer. But that being said, uh, it's, it was still work and should be treated with you know some, some degree of professionalism. Absolutely. Um, right. So I never saw one as greater than the other, but I, you know, in that sense. But in another sense, I see that uh, features are a lot more involved 
um, a lot more goes into uh, to creating the features. Um, there's going to be more involved. It is going to be good. You know what I mean? Uh, a feature could just have to do with the fact that it's a feature length. You know what I mean? Instead of a bunch of unrelated necessarily scenes um, that could be mixed, matched, and switched out. You know, this is one thing, one story, one line, and it's running for a feature length. You know, so like 130, 140 minutes is what makes it a feature. That's not, you know, to dictate whether it's good or bad or, or production value. But a good feature is going to have good writing. Hopefully it's going to have good actors. You're going to have uh, a good story. Hopefully you, you are backed with, uh, with uh, great production value. Um, and that's going to have like locations or fantastic sets and fantastic set dressing and uh, all of these things that make sure that your story follows along, follows its theme uh, to a T, you know? Um, so it's a lot more involved in that aspect. Whereas, you know, in Gonzo, you don't really so much worry about that. <laughs> you come up to a nice house. Great. It's nice. Let's go. You know, there's not so much involved as making it look a certain way for a certain theme um, that's going to carry out for the entire hour and 40 minutes or what have you. Um, it's not something I would mind doing. I don't know if I would want to write a feature myself. Um, if, if someone had a story and they said, hey, here's my story. I'd like you to check this story out and, and let me know what you think about how you would bring it to life. I don't think that that would be a problem for me. I would just let people know, hey, here's what I would do, and here's how I would do it, whatever. And if I had the budget, I would do this, this, this. Um, but, um, yeah, it's not anything that I, I that I ever yearned necessarily to do. Um, but if the opportunity arose, then, I, you know, I would, I would want to approach it the same way I've approached everything else. I would definitely want to give it my all. I would want to... Uh, do as much research as I could and pool as many resources as I could uh, to make sure that I did, um, you know, the best job that I could. Do you prepare yourself mentally in different ways, depending on the type of scene that you're performing in? And basically what I'm trying to get you to focus on here is... Gonzo slash wall to wall versus vignette type scene. So where it's you know just straightforward sex versus a scene where there's a setup and there's either something improvised or there's you know little things like jotted down beforehand that you're gonna have to say. Do you find yourself preparing yourself before a scene differently based on the type of scene that you're gonna be doing? Well, I mean, I think you would have to. I mean, I don't mean to be rude or anything, but you almost, it sounds like you pretty much answered your own question. Um, and I, I only say that because, uh, like you said, with if, if I've got a treatment for a vignette, that obviously takes some preparation. And if I um, am going to be explaining this treatment to others, that's going to be more preparation. Um and if I know I have to appear or look a certain way, then that's going to take some preparation. Whereas if I'm showing up, and again, like you said, most of what I have done has been vignette, even though I, I did quite a bit of gonzo at uh, at Boy Media. Um, 
To answer your question, yes, I absolutely prepare myself mentally differently. If I'm showing up on somebody's asset set that I'm not directing, um, and I know it's going to be a gonzo scene, then really I'm just showing up and whatever director says he wants, okay, I make that happen and that's it, whatever. It's probably it's pretty much just uh, roll the dice, free for all, whatever, let's go. Now, if there's something that's going to be more involved in that, <clears throat> and either I know it as a director or a director is letting me know as a performer, uh, then yeah, then the reason he's letting me know is so that I can prepare, uh, whether that be um, a role that I'm supposed to be portraying in a certain way with a certain attitude or a certain feel, or if it's something as simple as how I'm going to be dressing or undressing, or how I'm going to be moving, or what speed, or whatever. Um, so, yeah. Um, for for things that I'm doing, I, I would definitely say that I have to uh, get my head in the game. Or, or for example, if there's going to be something involved that I don't necessarily want to do, um, then yeah, I definitely have to, you know, get my head in the game. Uh, like if I've got to, for example, all right, there was, there was, uh, I, I did an appearance in, um, in Hustlers Avatar 2. Yes. Uh, all right. Okay. I don't even think I got credited for that movie. <laughs> I don't think so. But, um, you got but I, was in it. I did get the check. Um, yeah, I don't think I get credit for it, but uh, I, I actually, it's funny because I actually ended up playing the king of the village. <laughs> I still don't believe I get credited for it. Okay, you took over for Lex. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Was he supposed to? He, no, well, I'm saying he was in part one. That was his role. Oh, oh, right, right. I got you. I got you. Okay, yeah, that is correct. Right. So, uh, yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I don't know that I did. I may have. I haven't, I haven't got a copy. But, uh, yeah. Point is, um, I'm not in the IMDb. <laughs> anyway, there was a point where I just showed up, and I knew I was going to be in the movie, and I was going to do this, but I didn't realize everything that was going to be involved once I got on set. So I didn't realize the makeup that was going on. I knew there was going to be some. I knew I'm going to be blue with Avatar, you know. I didn't realize the type of makeup that was going to be involved, and I didn't realize how full body it was going to be. It was pretty extensive. And it's funny because I wasn't having sex, but, uh, you know. Um, yeah. I hope I you took a picture realize. of yourself. I took several. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't realize, uh, and, and again, you know, I mean, if you, if you see the movie, get the movie, what have you, yeah, that, that would be me. Um, but, yeah. I did not realize that I was going to have to wear contact lenses. Never in my life have I worn contact lenses, ever. Um, so it was like, hey, Jack, we need you to wear these contact lenses. I'm like, Oof. you know, nobody told me that when I, was, uh, when I was getting all these details. Nobody said anything about contact lenses. Nobody asked me whether or not contact lenses were going to be a problem. It, it was, it was uh, not an issue. It never came up. Now you're saying if I don't put in contact lenses, I have to leave, um, which is going to screw up your production and leave a bad taste in your mouth for Jack in the future. So um, I did not know how to put contact lenses in, so I literally had to have somebody else put them in. If you've never done it before, it's pretty scary. 
Um, yeah. So between contact and my eyes had to get used to it. I've never had it. I've never had anything. It was so irritating. Dude. My eyes were like bloodshot red for a while. And then after a while, I got used to them. <clears throat> what sucks is you can't keep contact lenses in. So now I have to have somebody. I can't pull them out. So somebody had to dig into my eyes and pull my contacts out. It was very, very, very unnerving, sir. Um, so, yes. It depends on the situation. Is mental preparation involved for different scenes? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no question. With this next question, I'm not trying to get you killed, man. So I'm saying this... It's all good ahead of time but that's all good the listeners need to know and to be quite honest i'm very curious as well who have been some of your most favorite performers to work with uh okay 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 uh some do you have a different question exactly it's not that's, the most that's, favorite that's the best version that is the best version Thank of you. that question i have ever heard Thank i appreciate very it much all right so that is the answer. <laughs> uh, some of them would be uh, Olivia Lovely, uh, Misty Stone, uh, Annika Albright. Um, who else? Because, I mean, now we're talking about years and years. I wish people had asked me this particular question before. Uh, 99 was, uh, was uh, definitely one that was a great person to work with. <laughs> Um, who else? Uh, trying to think of names, names. You know, one of the biggest things that I'm having a problem with right now because I know uh, a lot of these girls have stage names, and um, I know them by their stage name, but I know them more by their government name. And sometimes I think of a person and see their face, and uh, I want to say their name, but I'm like the only thing I can think of is their actual government name. So I'm actually stammering trying to remember what the stage name is just because we're friends. Like, uh, yeah, like, you're like oh, Kathy. Or, and they're like, oh, no, right. it's like Luscious exactly. Kitty or something. I was, I was staggering, but like with Mika Tan, right? Mika Tan is definitely one of my favorites to work with. And um, I, was, I was stumbling because I know her. She's a very, very, very good friend. And, uh, yeah, I know her. Her, her name name. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you may oh, have to hook, name again? hook us up with an interview. Uh, with Mika Tan. You know what? Mm, I, I, don't, I don't know. I might be able to. I don't know. I'm going to tell you. That's a very, very, very busy woman. Yeah. It's a very, very, very busy woman. I mean, I can, I can definitely run it past her and say, hey, Mika, I've got this friend. But I'm not going to lie to you, man. That's a busy woman. That's like, she's like turned down money busy. <laughs> she is turned down money busy. Not, and I, I want you to understand something. She's not turned down money rich, and she would not want you to think that she has turned down money rich. But uh, she is. She's like, I, I don't have time to do this because I have this other thing to do. Busy. She's believe me. I don't think she's turning down any money mm -hmm. for the sake of turning down money. I'm quite certain that she is not. But she definitely has her hands full. That being said, she's a very giving and very generous person. If there's something she can do for you, she absolutely will. It's not a matter of whether she will or won't, you know what I mean? It's just whether she can or can't. And that might be due to physicalities. It might be due to prior scheduling. Um, 
<clears throat> but yeah, she's she's definitely somebody who will give if she can. Nice. Shout out to Mika Tan. No doubt. No doubt. But yeah, I've, I've definitely had a lot of these, man. A lot of favorites. A lot of, oh, man. Uh, Ariana Angel. Yeah, yeah. That was another favorite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the bad. Because ah, we hear, <laughs> we hear okay. about no lists. And for the most part, female performers have it. Some male performers have had it. My question for you is, now, it's up to you if you want to disclose who it is or if you at least want to maybe give a reason as to why. You don't have to necessarily say the performer. I'm giving you the discretion to choose what you want to say. But have you ever had a performer put on like a quote-unquote no list, a, a list in which you're like, I am never working with this person ever again? And why? Uh, no. Okay. No, no, I, I don't. People do, and some people have great reasons. Some people's reasons are pretty stupid, but there's, there's absolutely no list. And I, I mean, I don't have a no list because I feel like, um, uh, fortunately, I, I don't, I don't um, have anybody for the most part that rubs me to a point where I just cannot deal with them. Uh, I feel like that would reflect on me um, as a person and a professional if, if I were... If I were to subject myself to saying that there's no possible way that I could do anything with this person. Um, now, there have been times where, for the sake of professionalism, I have declined uh, to do certain scenes. Uh, and again, it was with the discretion. Is that the discretion of the, uh, you know, of the director or the producer? But I gave suggestions and I say, hey, you know what? Uh, as a professional, I want to let you know if this incident happened or such and such, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that may or may not affect what happens on your set that day. You know what I mean? If you still want me to come through or if you'd like to double check or whatever, I'll leave it up to your discretion. But I want you to know that this happened and this happened and I would not want for you to, you know, invest your time, invest your money. And then this happens and all of a sudden, you know, this person shows up and it's like, you, you. You know what I mean? And now you're, you're lost for time and money. Um, so there have been, there have been times where I've had to be, you know, precautionary, but I don't have anybody on the list. Who have you not worked with that you're looking forward to working with in the future? That's wow. Uh, okay. Uh, I am, uh, I believe her name is Harmony California. Mm-hmm. And I know that she is a web girl. Uh, and when I say web girl, like webcam girl, she's a popular webcam girl. And she has started doing uh, adult movies. Um, and uh, she's somebody who has stated that she wanted to, you know, do some things with me um, about a year ago. She wanted to, uh, she was supposed to come out. She's trying to get on that jack train now. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it has not happened as of yet, right? So um, she hit me up, you know, here we are about a year later, and she's like, hey, man, I really want to make that happen. So we actually have a date set uh, for about, yeah, I think we're going to about a week and a half. In about a week and a half, we've got a date set, and we're going to see uh, if that works out. Uh, there's another girl 
uh, I believe she's from Florida. Her name is uh, Virgo Peridot, if you're familiar. And uh, yeah, we have definitely expressed some interest in each other. We finally got a chance. I mean, people have been telling me about her, and I'm pretty sure people have been telling her about me, and we finally got a chance to meet each other um, in Vegas uh, earlier this year. Um, and yes, uh, you can you can check the social media. There's there's definitely some interest. <laughs> there's been some definitely some mutual expressed interest. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. Uh, but there's so 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 many girls that are coming on a regular basis, man. And not, literally, not that I'm a huh, right. Not not that I'm a pig or anything, but but man, there's there are very few that I would kick out of bed is all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> very, very few that I would kick out of bed. I've heard that there's something about Jack. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this next question, I love asking veterans in the industry because, for the most part, you're in an industry that's much like any other job. You know, for the people that are tuning in at their regular job, when you're with a company for for so many years. I mean, you develop friendships, you develop close, you know, acquaintances and whatnot. And uh, the adult industry is, is you know, we, it can mirror, you know, a day-to-day job like what the listeners experience. So my question for you is, who are some of your close friends in the industry? And this can be, you know, female male performers. Who would you consider to be, you know, uh, part of Jack Napier's homies? Hmm. Before I answer that, <laughs> I got to go back. I just thought about something that I said. It's, it's weird how that happens. But uh, I believe when you had, uh, you had asked me about uh, some of my favorite girls to work with, I believe yes. I said Ariana Angel, right? Yes. Okay. Her name isn't Ariana Angel. It's, uh... Or is it? <laughs> I know it's Ariana, right? I don't think it's Ariana Angel. But uh, I was thinking of too many different people. Like, uh, there's Ariana Angel, Ariana, and there's uh, Ariana Aiden. There's, there's, like there's Ariana Star. Exactly. And that's, that is who I was thinking of. It's Ariana Star that I was thinking of. Shout out to Ariana Star. Yeah, Ariana I love Star. Ariana Star. Yeah. See, there's a girl named, there's, there's Angel Eyes, there's Ariana Angel. Now, Ariana yeah. Angel, I have never worked with, right? But, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, crazy. Uh, Angel Eyes I worked with, that was fantastic, right? Uh, but yes, Ariana Star, to be very clear, I worked with her a couple of times, and, uh, yeah, fantastic every time. She has actually since retired, gotten married, lives in, well, she lives, she lives on the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to talk about all that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. The Caribbean goddess very, of porn. Oh, man. She's very happy, and I'm very happy for her. So, again, sorry about that. Ariana Starr, shout out, shout out. She's another one who, who's <laughs> legit name I know, man. I'm like, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right, so getting back to the home. Yeah, well, I've interviewed her before. The listeners, right. if they listen to the interview, they know her real name because she was actually on A Different World back in the day. That is correct. That is absolutely correct, yes. Yeah, we was, talked all uh, about was, that. It was a lot of fun. Right. Right. Remember when I said season, season, we don't have, we're doing like none of us are season actors. I thought about her and I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Some of us actually are. <laughs> A few of us are season actors. All right. So, yeah. 
Um, so there's there's that, and um, the homies, man, homies, homies. So there are people that uh, I consider uh, instrumental in in my growth. Yes, as, like Papi uh, Chulo. Yes, yes, I would definitely consider you a friend, and and again, when I say that, I say you're somebody who has. Uh, over a long period of time, we've shared space, we've shared time, we've shared stories, we we have helped each other grow quite literally, you know. Uh, so I would say, yeah, you're a friend. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that lightly because there's uh, between you and I, there's been a long, long time, and we're, we're I'm talking about you know over ten years. Ten years, that's that's a substantial amount of time, and you and I have surpassed ten years. Um, yeah. And we have watched each other grow. You've seen me grow as a director. You've seen me grow as a performer. And I've seen you grow from student to uh, the man behind this awesome radio show. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know I appreciate I mean? that. Absolutely. I wasn't fishing for compliments, so I appreciate it. Well, I understand. But I mean, it's, I'm just telling you what's true and what's real based on the question that you're asking. You know what I mean? If you, if you cover this industry. So on, on some level, I would say that you're kind of part of this industry, you know, uh, you cover people in this industry, you talk with people, you deal with people in this industry. You know, I wouldn't call you an industry vet performer, all that, because it wouldn't be true. But as far as your involvement in this industry, you're more involved than many other people who, you know, whatever, have lasted longer than, than many people within this industry. Mm-hmm. Have been doing this a long time and have grown more, you know. So I would definitely have to throw you in there. I'm just saying. Um, now, as Thank far you. as performers... No, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, as far as far as performers, um, Mark Anthony is one of the first people that I met, and uh, incidentally, he's a Florida boy too. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he's in Florida right now. Yeah, I believe um, so. He's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, he's a real good dude. You know what I mean? Uh, he has been with me. You know what I mean? He's there. Were, like I said, I, I think I covered this. In, in early part of the interview, but there were two times that I did not listen to Mark Anthony, and both times I paid for it. And ever since yeah. then, I listened to him save, you know, a trip to Brazil. <laughs> but if it had to do yeah. with stuff that was going on out here, you know what I mean? I absolutely listened to him. And um, he's always tried to steer me into the right, right, right direction, and we've been friends for a long time. You know what I mean? Um, there, there aren't too many people within this industry that I share a lot of, of uh, common space with. Like, okay, we're, we're done on set. Let's go hang out and chill and, and do this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't really have many industry hangout buddies, so to speak. Um, but uh, there are people that I definitely feel like... Um, that I would consider a friend. Like, for example, I just mentioned Mika Tan's name, right? Mika Tan is, is definitely a quote-unquote hangout buddy. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, there's, there's some people who have been to their houses, you know, on, on some non-industry type jazz, and we've hung out and done some non-industry type stuff, whether that's been uh, a trip to Magic Mountain. Shout out to Magic Mountain. Show. Oh, no doubt. We got to do that. We got to do that. Uh, or whether it was just lunch or whatever. Like, for example, 
uh, Deanna Michaels is somebody I would definitely consider a really good friend. She's awesome. Uh, she's, she really is. You know, she's, she's very, um, she's very supportive of a lot of the things that I have done and I'm doing. And we, we are both parents and we've shared a lot as far as parenting, shared a lot as, as, uh, as uh, far as just growth as people in the industry, performers, what have you. Um, but also growth outside of the industry. You know what I mean? We've been supportive of each other as far as that's concerned as well. Um, and she plays a decent game of dominoes. She can't mess with the kid, though. But. <laughs> right now. Shout out to Jada Michaels, man. Yeah, she was talking some, some good, good, good shit once upon a time, man. I, I took her to a dominoes. I'm not dominoes. I took her to a Subway in Sherman Oaks. Took her to Subway, uh, Subway Sandwiches. Shout out to Subway. And, uh, yeah, I pulled out the dominoes right then and there. I'm like, let's do it, man. You talk about this shit. Thanks. Spank that shit out of her. <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. I was in Sherman Oaks. I'll put it this way. It was so bad, man, that I had I picked up the dominoes, man, and threw them in the trash just to get rid of the evidence, man, because you can't really be beating white girls like that in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> they don't play that shit out there. I threw away the dominoes just to get rid of the evidence. I beat her so bad. <laughs> John, I love you. All right. Um, there's a dude named Johnny Soporno, man. Uh, and he he's not a performer, per se, uh, at least not that I know of. <clears throat> but he has been uh, an industry consultant for a long time. Uh, so, again, everybody has different levels of their involvement, and there are different levels of involvement within this industry. But like I said, like... Just like you, you know, you have a, a different a different plateau of, of involvement. Mm-hmm. And Johnny's the same. He has a different plateau of involvement. But he's somebody, again, who's been a very, very good friend. His wife, Violet. Um, I believe they're married. They may not be, but they're definitely life partners. I've never seen, you know, um, them away from each other for long periods of time. Um, and I definitely don't see... Uh, they have a very strong relationship, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> very, very often. Um, and uh, they, those are two people who have been really, really good friends as well. Um, but I, I mean, I've got like people that I hang out with and kick it with every so often, man. You went from, uh, you know, T wheel, you know, Mr. Marcus, uh, Lex, um, there's, there's, uh, definitely people that I know I can, you know, come sit down, chop it up, have good vibes with whatever, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, as far as as far as people, especially like in my neighborhood, you know what I mean, where I know I can just roll down the street and be like, um, "Here's what's going on," or, or you know what, you know when you have a friend, when you call them up and say, "Hey, I need somebody to help me move," I need yeah, somebody to help you move. That's your fucking friend right there, right? Okay, so there's a couple of people that I know if I called up. They'll be like, you know, hey, do you need my truck or, you know, do you need my help, whatever, blah, blah. Like, Mika Tan's one of those chicks that he said, hey, Mika, I need my, I need, need to help me move. She'd come over here and bring her truck and call her husband and whatever, you know what I mean? And they'd make it happen, you know what I mean? She's she's definitely uh, full-fledged that way, you know what I mean? Um, I think Jonna would do it, too. She's just like, you know, really fucking busy. <laughs> she travels a lot. We get busy too, man. I think, like I said, it's just, a lot of it just has to do with just life and scheduling, man. But there's there's definitely some good people in this industry. 
right now, I want to break a porn scene down with you. So, in a scene, which do you enjoy the most? Oral, vag, or anal? <laughs> it depends on the girl, no question. It, there's, there's no one solid answer for that. Now, anybody who's got experience for more than one, with more than one girl, uh, is gonna, is, they should tell you the same thing. Because there's going to be one girl whose vag is whack and her anal's whack. Oh, but that head game, out of control. She's a head doctor. Man. And, and She's same, got a PhD and PhD. Girl, right? There's going to be another girl who couldn't suck dick to save her life. And anal's going to be a struggle. But vaginally, hello, hello, hello. Bamboo. She's bamboo with it. There's that one girl who's going to be bamboo with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, check out part two got the, for all about know, bamboo. Got that bamboo badge action. You know what I mean? She got that and bamboo. Then, you know? Got that, exactly. You got that bamboo. Oh, man. That's, that's going to be a thing. And nobody's going to get it. Nobody's well, they got to listen to part two. Yeah, man. We're not going to explain it for you again. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that, man. I'm just going to ask people if they got that bamboo. That bamboo, that good good, that bamboo. Yes. If you hear that, if you hear that, you will know where it came from. You will know where it came from. If you hear somebody ever say that and you got that bamboo, <laughs> you will know where it came from. I think I'm going to start saying that in scenes. <laughs> you got that bamboo? You got that good bamboo. good? Yeah, good good. That bamboo, man. <laughs> Shout out to bamboo yeah. wherever you are. Shout out to bamboo. I know she's in France. Shout out. Bonjour. She's in Paris right now. Like, like she got her fingers up right now. Like, yeah, bamboo, bamboo. Yes, I'm right bamboo. here. <laughs> she's going to say that with Je her little sweet bamboo. Oh, yeah. I got that bamboo. <laughs> oh, man. So, and the same. For example, there's there are just anal giants, man. Um, uh, for example, um, who's, a, who's a, an anal giant, man? Um, there was a girl named Alicia Bizart, right? From Czech. And, yeah, her A-game, really hard to mess with. Uh, who else? I mean, there's a lot of anal giants out there, but when I say where they're, they're, you know, it's, it's, oh, boom, I got perfect example, right? Uh, I just gotta, I just gotta think of her stage name. Uh, you know what? I'm stupid. Her, I her for the most part, her stage name is the same as her legal name. Um, I'm kind of stupid, but, uh, she is the, um, she has been billed as the internet's girlfriend. Um, she is, uh, over at, uh, does a lot of work for, um, for, uh, oh gosh, man, what's wrong with me right now? Why am I drawing a blank on this? Jack Napier is getting old. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Um, yeah, we just did that cool walk over there for AIDS walk. Did that with her. Um, um, man, why am I drawing a blank on this girl's name? Oh my gosh! She's got the whole uh, adult performer coalition jumping off. Um, APAC. Uh, I I can't believe I'm and her name her stage name is the same as her real name and I'm still drawing a blank. That's so sad. I can see her face and it's really killing me. Anyway, 
she kind of reminds me of Hillary Swank in a little bit, in the face a little bit. But um, yeah, I can't believe that I'm dying with this. Anyway, point is, if you ask her, and when I asked her, she told me the same thing. She's like, her 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 vagina is trash. She's like, she loves her asshole, loves things in the ass, whatever, blah blah blah. Head game's cool, but you know she feels much stronger. You know, with the uh, with her A game. Her A game is her A game, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, so to answer the question, it basically depends on the girl. There's no one answer to cover everybody, uh, which is as far as which is better. And yeah, if if you feel like there is, you haven't experienced enough. <laughs> Definitely depends on the girl. In a scene, what's your favorite sexual position, and does that differ from your fave position in the real world? Offset. That is a great question. So I'm sort of a, uh, I'm, I'm a giver, because <laughs> I'm not a taker. <laughs> all right. But um, bum, so, but um, okay. Jack Napier's here all week, uh, y'all. All week, all week. <laughs> Tune in for part four. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is I like to, I like to get girls off. I like to do what gets them off. So whatever gets them off, that's my favorite position. If they get off with reverse, then that's what I want to do. If they get off with doggy, which most girls do, that's what I want to do. If they get off with missionary, that's what I want to do. I want to get her off. If she's like, hey, what would really get me off is if you step two fingers in my nostril and choke me. I would be like, that's weird. But for her, that would be my favorite position. Okay. <laughs> now, at home, um, at, at home, things are... I, I don't... I don't know if I have a favorite position at home, but I, I guess I I guess it would be uh, if if you're familiar with it, it's either, it would either be one of these two. It would either be missionary or what's known as the prone position. Are you familiar with that? Prone. Prone. The uh, prone bone. Okay. Uh, maybe it has people, a different name. So some people some people call it the lazy doggy style. Where the girl is laid out, stretched out, just laying flat on her stomach. Oh, okay. And on top. Okay. Yeah, that is the prone. It's not really doggy at all because doggies don't do that. <laughs> so people Correct. Will call it I just called it not laying bone. down doggy. Yeah. But yeah, dogs don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's known as the prone. Prone, prone bone, yes. The prone. The prone position. There's probably some cool yoga name for laying flat on your stomach. I, I don't know what it is. But, uh, yeah. That would be one of my favorite home positions. Okay. And in fact, in my uh, earlier, my earlier years, that was a uh, that was a uh, a famous finishing position for me. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah, did it quite a bit. And of course, we all know how a scene ends. In a scene, where is your favorite place to shoot your load? Cream pie, no question. <laughs> no question, cream pie inside every time. That's my favorite. Yep. No question. 
right where nature intended. That is my favorite spot. Yes, yes, yes. Every time. <laughs> How would you describe your fuck style? I, I don't know if I have a, a style necessarily. Okay, you uh, wouldn't say your style is like Bruce Lee. I have the Jeet Kune Do style. Oh, okay. I'm formless, shapeless, my friend. I'm water. If you pour me on a girl who wants it hard, I do it hard. If she wants it soft, I do it soft. If she wants it fast, I go fast. If she wants slow, well, then baby, I go slow. Be water, my friend. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. That's basically the answer that I wanted. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the way of the intercepting penis. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. As your career grew, and as your career grew as not just a performer, but as a director, in particular towards maybe like the latter half of your career in the business when you were with voyeur obviously you mentioned that you were a big part of like the editing process and whatnot so you had to watch yourself in a scene because obviously you want to make sure that your vision of what the scene uh, the end product of the scene was going to be you know was your vision but in the beginning were you someone that watched your scenes? Were you someone that tried to avoid watching your scenes? There are a lot of performers. I've, I've gotten, I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I know that a, there's a great percentage of people that try not to watch their scenes. And there's a great right. percentage of people that do watch their scenes because they want to make sure that they improve and whatnot. But some right. people aren't comfortable watching themselves. So it's, right. I don't know what the percentage is of what the answer is, but I've gotten both in the past. So my question for right. you is, when you weren't forced to have to watch them because you were not editing, did you watch your scenes? Initially, I did. So I went through, I went through every stage. I went through stages. So basically, uh, I went through all of that. I went through a stage where I wanted to see it because I was excited at first. I was like, oh man, that's awesome, right? And then I got to a point where it was like, I started seeing myself looking silly or corny, or I mean, when I say silly, I mean the unintentional silly, like not the silly that I try to portray. Uh, but you know, during sex, you don't want it to be too silly. Um, so I was looking at myself and things that I was doing, like, yeah, that was kind of corny, and I just didn't want to see it. Or I wasn't necessarily trying to relive something that I'd, I had already done, particularly when I was supposed to be focusing on things that were upcoming. Because um, I didn't have another life. <laughs> A life outside of the, of the video and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, I got to a point where um, I was forced to watch it. Um, not forced, but I wanted to. I needed to, um, to to improve uh, the quality of what I was doing. So, um, I became quite critical of myself uh, and things I was doing. And then eventually, I got to a point where it's like, okay, I started to see myself again. I was like, hey, I am watching myself, and it is still not watching myself, but I'm watching what's happening. It's not about watching me; it's about watching the whole thing about what's happening. And it was enjoyable to watch. Like, okay, this looks good. I was proud of what I had achieved. 
um, as far as the scenario. It wasn't like, oh, I'm looking at myself like, oh, look at those legs. Oh, look at those arms. It, it wasn't like that. <laughs> Ramses is the best. Ramses is number one. Oh, Ramses gosh. is the best arm. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was just... Are you sure? Because that sounded very natural. Uh, oh, I was watching that uh, No, I'm teasing. Movie, uh, yes, I know what you're oh, talking okay. about. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, another name, that I, another name of a movie that I can't think of with Jack Black wrestling. But uh, yeah. Oh, naturally. Yes. Naturally. All right. So. Um, so yeah. Um, I was watching the whole scenario, enjoying the way the whole scenario looked. Right. I'm seeing. My level of performance, I'm seeing my level of intensity, I'm seeing the girl's reaction to it, I'm seeing how it's being covered, I'm seeing how it's being shot, I'm seeing the angle, and all of it is looking good, you know? So that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want it to look like, this is what I want things to look like, and I was pleased with it. And Jack was pleased. So yeah, I've definitely gone through all, all, all four of those stages, or two of those stages on different levels. Overall, throughout your career, what has been one of your most memorable shoots? A shoot where you were like, wow, I can't believe I did that. I had a girl. We set up a, a, a scene where there was a girl. She was about 5'10". I think she was about 5'10". She might have been taller. She might have been a full six feet. Um, but... Uh, again, it was just one of those spur-of-the-moment things. I mean, we don't often come across girls who are that tall. Um, and um, I wanted to do something with that. I mean, when you have something that is visually obvious, that's in your face and undeniable, you kind of want to use it, right? This has just been my, my mm -hmm. thought. You know, if I have a girl who has really long legs and she can do the splits and I don't show that, then I'm cheating the audience. You know what I mean? If I don't exaggerate that and have her do all sorts of different types of splits somewhere during the scene, I feel like I'm cheating them, right? Because then what's going to happen? She's going to go do splits for somebody else. And they're like, oh, where the fuck didn't I have that? <laughs> so we had a girl who was like six. She was close to six feet tall. If she wasn't six feet tall, she was very close to six feet tall. And we did size comparison. We did back to back and all this. And I'm putting my hand on my forehead and, you know, running over her head and all this. And we're talking about size or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then it just so happened that, that the location we were at had a basketball court, right? So I had no idea what we were going to do that day. I had no treatment. I had no scene. I didn't know too much about the girl or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then she's six feet tall, and I've got a basketball court outside. Boom. Idea hits. I'm going to have her dunk on me. When do you see things like that? When do you see a porn where a girl, first of all, dunks the basketball, period, right? You don't see it too often. Second of all, it's my show, and I'm just going to have her smash a basketball on me, right? Where do you see that? You don't see that in porn anymore, right? And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to give people something that they hadn't seen and weren't ever going to see. So uh, that's how we entered the scene. We started talking about her height, her, how tall she is, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And like, okay, well, that's cool. And somehow I segue into the fact that, well, you know, this, that, and basketball, it's not like girls conduct the basketball. We start talking about WNBA and all this jazz and whatever. 
Uh, I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but you know, it's not like girls can dunk a basketball or whatever, blah, 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 right? And she's like, well, I can dunk a basketball. And again, all this is set up, right? But it, it's still, it's, it's visually appealing. She's like, I can dunk a, dunk a basketball. I'm like, you can't. I'm like, no girl can dunk a basketball. So I'm going to the superlative, right? Girls can't dunk. White men can't jump. You know, I'm, I'm going to the furthest end. Can't do it. You're lying. It's impossible. No girl can do it. That's an obvious setup, right? So... Um, she's like, I can, I absolutely can, right? I'm like, well, shit, we got basketball court outside with your big talking ass, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So now the challenge is set. So now we're adding some drama to this board, right? So we go out, right? And I, I we have an adjustable rim, okay? So we, we have the rim where, you know, it goes from regulation 10 feet, you can bring it down to 8 feet, bring it down to 6 feet, bring it down to 4 feet, or whatever, right? Um, so we um, we go out there and I set it up, whatever, boom, boom, boom. And I'm going out there and I'm taking shots and I'm dunking and I'm setting up dunk shots for myself and whatever, blah, blah. But I'm making sure that they're like kind of like mediocre, you know what I mean? And we're getting a lot of jump cuts because you can't really see the height of the rim at the time you're happening, right? Because, um, yeah, in real life, she really couldn't dunk, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is I want the shit to be funny. Um so as I do a dunk, I'm like, what? And like, she grades it, right? You see her grading my dunk. She, first she'll give me like the, eh, so-so or whatever. And then she'll get, you know, I'll do another dunk and she's like a great big smile. And then she turns it to a frown and uh, then I'll do whatever. And she'll have a thumbs up and then she'll turn the thumb down. You know I'm mean? Like, yeah, right. Whatever. Right. So finally after three or four of these, I'm like, okay, what do you got? Right. So we do this all in slow motion and again you know we bring the rim down or whatever or for the wide shot the rim is up all the way to full height right and we have her dribble and start running towards the basket right it's funny because she couldn't really dribble that good so we i decided here we're going to do we're going to do some jump cuts and we're going to do it in slow motion and shit so we can edit cut it and make it look good right plus slow motion that just adds to the drama so she starts off man she starts heading towards the basket and she's dribbling Boom, and then she jumps, and we get different angles of her jumping. We get the wide shot of her jumping towards the uh, towards the basket. We get a low shot, and we're shooting up, and she's jumping towards the basket, right? So you see her feet going over the camera and all this good jazz. And then we get a high shot of my view, right? And I'm looking at her with my jaw dropped. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm watching her go by with my jaw dropped, right? And then we go ahead and bring down the uh, the rim, so that she can just go full-blown Vince fucking Carter, right? She double dunked, two hands, slammed, and she's hanging on the rim, swinging back and forth. And my, my arms are down to my knees. My jaws just dropped, right? So basically, uh, I mean, it took a bit of doing, but once you see it, it looks like she just Vince Carter me in a dunk contest, dude. It's absolutely horrible. But like I said, it was awesome because I like. I like poking fun at myself and doing things like that and giving people things that they're never going to see. Um, so yeah, it was, that was definitely one of my most memorable things uh, outside of the um, outside of the haircut that we discussed in the last yeah uh, in the last yeah part two of the interview right. So interview part two that was another very very memorable scene the haircut scene and yeah if you don't know about that and you haven't seen it you should at least download the interview so you can hear about what happened with the haircut scene crazy absolutely man 
Okay, so speaking of scenes and experiences on set, what has been one of the funniest things that has ever happened to you on set? And this doesn't have to necessarily be something in a scene, something behind the scenes. Dude, that's hard. That's a hard question to answer, man. I'm a silly dude as it is, man. And there's, I mean, anybody who has worked with me will let you know that there have been this, you know, days and days where, you know, we had to slow down and stop with the comedy so we could get through the scene. I mean, when you, when you laugh, it, it brings all your blood to your, when you laugh hard, good, loud, it brings blood to your, to your stomach, it brings blood to your lungs. Basically, it pulls the blood away from your dick and it up the heart on and shit, right? That's a problem when we're on set. Um, but, um, I mean, people will tell you, uh, girls, guys, crew, talent, uh, you know, directors, they'll tell you that I'm probably one of the funniest people uh, that they work with. I mean, they, there's just jokes upon jokes upon jokes and just funny things about funny things. It's, it's really hard to single out. Honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of something, uh, you know, and it's, it's really hard to single out because it's just like mad comedy. Mad comedy on set, dude, either before or after. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it feels weird because that should have been one of the easiest things to answer. And now I think about it, it's just like, man, there's just so much jazz. It's hard, it's hard right now at this point, at this moment, point it, to even single anything out. Man. Crazy. Sad. <laughs> For that reason, I suggest people rent, buy, <laughs> purchase, go online, go ahead and grab it, go to these, uh, websites and, and uh, get their own personal copies or you know get them from me or what have you but yeah fun 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 funny time some of it happened during the scene some of it happened before some of it happened you know uh at the office before we had to location it's ridiculousness man so it's a ridiculous world i'm glad that we just able to capture some of it and share it with people okay so Instead of funny, what about embarrassing? Has anything embarrassing ever happened to you on set? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there have been several embarrassing things that have happened. Uh, I don't know how I'm, I'm trying to find some I'm trying to think of the less embarrassing things because the ones that are more embarrassing involve other people and I kind of again I don't really like airing other people's laundry out uh, without their permission or their knowledge but there have definitely been some embarrassing things that have uh, that have happened um yeah I would just say yes <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely embarrassing things that have happened. Yep. Okay, I'll take that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, here's what I'll do. Yeah. I'll combine, I'll combine these two. I'll combine a funny moment with an embarrassing moment. And uh, Mr. Yanni Searles, please forgive me, but the shit is funny. <laughs> and it's embarrassing. And it's not about me, so that works. So, uh, <laughs> um, there was a moment where um, 
Johnny the cameraman was uh, shooting the scene in the warehouse uh, of the uh, West Coast production office. And um, he was trying to get like this super close shot, you know, of um, the penetration. So he's, he's right there by dick and balls and vagina and he's trying to get up underneath it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the guy came unannounced, right? And he was underneath it and he couldn't go anywhere. He's got camera, it's right there. And basically the guy came and it fell on his face, right? Oh gosh. Yeah. And Johnny was freaking out. He was freaking, he was like running around like his head was on fire. Screaming, get it off, get it off, get it off. Oh my gosh. That shit was funny. That was funny. And embarrassing, you know. I'm sure he doesn't tell the story now. He has actually, he has told the story quite a bit. So I, I, that's why I'm okay sharing it. Because it's something that he's shared often. Uh, but, but yeah, <clears throat> embarrassing and funny. Shit happens, man. It's a, it's a, it's a funny world, man. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of porn bloopers out there. So, uh, yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. Absolutely, man. So from the funny and the embarrassing to the crazy, what's been one of the craziest things that you've done in a scene? One of the craziest things I've done? Um, probably ghost riding the whip, man. The ghost riding of the whip in the scene. With the riding dirty scene. Um, I'm trying to think if it was part of a trailer or whatever, but I took my Impala, man. 1968 Impala, and I'm driving it through the parking lot, and I'm standing on the hood of the car while it's, while it's coasting. You know what I mean? And I'm standing on top of the uh, of the roof while it's coasting and said, and it kind of sucked because I, I man, I, I actually cracked my sunroof, uh, cracked the glass on my sunroof doing that, which, which is not cool. Fortunately, it was the worst thing that happened. Uh, there was no accidents or anything like that. But but yeah, that was probably one of the craziest things that I had done. Uh, and besides that, I guess like I said, I'm driving down the highway. Uh, with uh, a girl literally in my lap. And, um, you know, I'm fucking <laughs> while I'm driving. So she's, she's literally straddling me while I'm trying to see past her shoulder. And she's uh, she's giving it all she's got. And uh, I think there were three other girls in the back seat. And we're, like I said, we're in an Impala. It's black, it's 1968, it's got chrome wheels it's got chrome bumper it's an old classic car and it's huge man it's not exactly inconspicuous now you put uh uh three girls in the back seat and they're in a bikini right we're off headed towards the beach and they're in bikinis right and they're looking good and they're made up whatever and i don't have tinted windows so you can see inside again not exactly inconspicuous now you've got a super inconspicuous or a super conspicuous car with three hot chicks in bikinis and now the front seat, you've got six cut black guy and uh, and low rider, which again, of course, is uh, you know totally totally inconspicuous, right? Yeah, not so yeah. much. And then in my lap is another hot chick in bikini with bottoms to the side, uh, fucking right. So this is going in and out. She's riding up and down, not exactly inconspicuous. 
and in the front passenger seat is the cameraman shooting everything. And this is all happening while we're driving. Yeah. Talk about That's riding cool. dirty. We were riding dirty. We were riding dirty. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. But it was fun, man. You know, you live one time. You have that one moment to, to make that one mark. And, you know, you consider the consequences. Consequences are, you know, we would have got fined and not been any jail time. And that would have been that slap on the wrist. Fine. And uh, if that were to happen, and it didn't, but if it were to happen, that would have been the extra cost that we paid to have that one moment on camera forever. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> Overall, uh, throughout your career in the business, what has been your most favorite project to work on? Now, you've headlined several series. So, is there a particular series or production that holds a special place in your heart? Um, it's hard to say that I have a particular series that, that I liked more than the other series. But I would say that each each series had a volume that I was particularly proud of. Even even the uh, even the Death Nature show. You know, I did have that one that one favorite volume <laughs> of the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I do have a volume uh, within each series that that stands out more than the rest uh, for whatever reason. Um, but if I were going to uh, pick a favorite volume of all the things that I've ever done, um, it would be its biggest black, it's Jack volume 10. I would say that I was uh, uh, most proud of, of my achievements in that volume. So right now it's time for the big question. Emphasis on big. This is the question ah, that's that fun. I'm... Yeah. Uh, this is a question that I'm sure a lot of your hardcore fans are dying to know. How much is Jack Napier packing? Um, I will answer it the best way that I know how. Um, Inches-wise, centimeter-wise, millimeter-wise, never been measured. Uh, there's been a volume, excuse me, not a volume, there was a, an, an episode, there was a movie where a girl named Liv Wilder is supposed to have this... Um, uh, this like uh, tape measure or something like that. And um, she was supposed to be measuring you with tape measure. But two things. One, the tape measure wasn't really accurate. And two, I wasn't hard. Um, so there were, you know, those two things that were going on. I've always found better things to do with myself when I was good and ready to go than look for a tape measure. And that's that's just me. I don't, I don't know, you know, about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody else, but when, when I'm <laughs> ready and full and blood engorged, I'm not looking for tape measure. <laughs> I'm looking for release. You know what I mean? That's, that's where I'm at. So, um, 
I have heard time and time and time and time and time again, Jack, everybody measures, everybody measures, everybody measures, everybody measures, everybody measures, right? Particularly from girls, right? Everybody measures. Um, to which I respond, okay, well, how deep are you? And then they don't know because they've never measured. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really a matter of just me really not not taking the time to to you know investigate it was never that much uh, of an interest for me like i said um so the closest thing that i could uh, equate it to is something i've done often is girls forearms i i compared it to girls forearms often because it was quick it was easy you could see it and it didn't stop my flow of what i was doing at the time I'm here, girl's here, I'm naked, she's naked, we're ready to go. A quick, you know, a quick size comparison to her forearm, and I'm inside. <laughs> we're good to go. Um, so, about the size of a girl's forearm from wrist to elbow, and uh, circumference-wise, it, it's about as thick as a girl's wrist. When did you first realize that you were packing something special? Um, when the adult industry started bugging out over it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's that's when it happened. It was really never anything that I thought of. Um, and again, people weren't gawking over it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, because I, I just was not living that kind of life where I just had people just, you know, like, just swooning and docking and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but once I got into this industry and the more I moved through this industry within my first years, like people were just losing their mind. Like, fuck, 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 fuck. I mean, at first I was denying it, but you know, after the first year, it's like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I didn't feel any different, but I had to accept the fact that people do feel differently about, you know, uh, about my dick in comparison to most other people's dicks. It was just, it was just one of those things that I had to accept as a reality and it wasn't going to change. Got that dick, son. <laughs> <laughs> What's the typical reaction when you first whip them out? Uh, typical. Um, that's kind of hard to say, but I've definitely heard, I've, I've heard different variations of a lot of the same thing. So, um, you know, I've definitely heard the wows. I've definitely heard the, that's the biggest dick I've ever seen. Uh, this is the biggest dick I've ever had. Some that I like that are kind of atypical, even though I've heard it a couple of times, is the weight comparison. In girls, oh, okay. like it's so heavy. That is something that I did because <laughs> it's like it's one of those things that people don't generally use as, as a reference. You don't you don't talk about it because weight. You know what I mean? How many times do you hear that? Like, dude, this is a heavy, heavy dish. <laughs> because you don't hear that too often. So when I hear that, <laughs> it's like, aha, now we're getting somewhere, right? Now we're now we're putting some now we're putting a third dimension, you know what I mean? <laughs> to the, 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 it was like, oh, circumference and length and this and that and blah, blah, blah. 
when the girl says weight, now we're adding density. We're actually we're we're adding that third dimension now. We're adding depth and density. You know what I mean? Volume. <laughs> so that's one of my favorite things that I've heard. Like, damn, how much does it weigh? And they say it like that. Like, I've actually put it on a scale after it's doing some shit. But it's still funny to hear. I love that shit. How much does it weigh? <laughs> Great. Have you ever had a performer that just couldn't take it? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I've, I've, I've never had a performer. And I, I mean, I understand it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's just a matter of, of uh, what you're comfortable with at the time. Like, like for example, uh, we're talking about muscles here, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about skin, we're talking about flesh, we're talking about muscle. Right, you take one man and say, "Hey, man, I need you to bench press this 200 pounds." And this man may not be able to bench press 200 pounds at the time, right? But if he keeps working out, you know, over time he will be able to accommodate that 200 pounds. No different. So, if you take a girl who's never done anything like me ever, right, anything, and you know, you can say, oh, girl, you're designed to take a baby and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe, but she didn't take a baby yesterday. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's a fucking process. <laughs> Baby's like a nine-month process. This is like more like nine minutes, you know? So, um, can can it be done? Yes, absolutely. It's just a matter of, of uh, patience and uh, proper lubrication, you know? Patient, proper lubrication can off a lot of things done. The problem is when you're on set, again, it's a it's a time limit. We're 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 on the clock. So we don't have too much time to be doing a whole bunch of massaging. So on one point you want to get the new girl and, you know, showcase the new girl because nobody's seen her yet and all that good jazz. But on the other hand, you gotta take what comes with that. You don't know what's going on with the new girl or whether she'll be able to do this or that, you know. Which could work for you. It, it never hurt me. For me, it was just, it just added to the legend that was Jack Napier. Like, oh, man, she couldn't take it. <laughs> Whatever the case was. But most times, even if they couldn't do it at that time, they would, uh, you know, come back uh, and, and, and uh, reintroduce themselves. And normally the second time, you know, it was fine. Um, and uh, that actually happened often, you know, you know, on the West Coast days. It happened often. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there's there's definitely people who initially couldn't take it, but that's true for anyone um, on camera, off camera, whatever, um, professional life, private life, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's that's just what it is. But yeah, you know, over time, practice, you know, whatever, good, good thing, it'll work, it can happen. Yeah. Has there been a performer who couldn't take it in the pussy, but could take it in the ass, and vice versa? <laughs> I'm trying to think of this girl's name still, man. And and I mean, I'll put it this way: I have not experienced someone who could not do one uh, over the other. Or, or for example, uh, there's vice versa when you say about uh, there there are girls who preferred it in the ass over their pussy, but they if they preferred it, it didn't mean that they couldn't do it. Um, like uh, Amber, cheese uh, man, she's another one who I know her, <laughs> her legal name. 
Um, I almost said Amber Rose, and that would have been really bad. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Amber, <laughs> Amber Rose, though. Right? Amber Rain, right? Amber Rain is a very prominent performer, right? And she, she's been known to do very, very, very amazing things, right? Mm-hmm. That being said, she's a girl whose ass is very, very accommodating. And she, to date, to date, I did see her for um, uh, Giants, Giants Black Meat, uh, Giants Mac, Giants Black Meat, like the longest internet website title ever. Oh, uh, yeah, it was like Giant Black Meat, White Treat. White Meat Treat. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Giant black was, meat white treat, I think. Right. Something I guess they were going like for the rhyme as opposed to right. the length of the title. Exactly. Remember I told you about titles and how important it is? Yes. <laughs> you can't really have these crazy long titles, man. It doesn't work out too well. But, uh, they probably should yeah. have just left, off, left it off the white treat and giant black meat, and that would have been easier. Something. I don't know. Yeah. So... I did a scene with Amber Rain, right? And to date, if if somebody asked me who's the tightest I've ever been with, vaginally, it would be her. Okay, right? she was your bamboo. She well, <laughs> when I not so much. Even even bamboo wasn't my bamboo. Okay, um, my bamboo was somebody that I can't really discuss. <laughs> I had a bamboo before I got into the industry. I haven't had a bamboo, but yeah, I had a bamboo before I got into the industry. I haven't had any on-camera bamboo. Listeners, Um, go out right now and find your own bamboo. Everyone needs a little bamboo in their life. Yes. If you're wondering what a bamboo is, got to download this uh, this second installment of this interview. Got to do it. You don't know what a bamboo is, man. And I'm sure you do, but if you don't, if you if you want to know why a bamboo is a bamboo, you got to listen. Exactly. Mandingo is is still traumatized by the bamboo. Oh, wow. He's probably mad that he's even being brought up right now. (laughs) Shout out to Mandingo, man. Shout out to Mandingo. I'm just just, just telling the story, man. Come on the station. We'll hear your side about bamboo. Word, word, word. Yeah. Come and do an interview. Tell us what happened, man. No doubt. Um, So, um, yeah. I I definitely had girls who... um, have preferred it in the butt uh, and could could handle it uh, in the butt better, or they chose to handle it better in the butt. Um, but they could accommodate me vaccinally. Now, there have been, uh, on the opposite side of that, girls who could uh, accommodate me vaginally but said it's never going to go in anally. That's never going to happen. But that being said, I really, like I said earlier, I don't, see it as a matter of not being able to do it. I see fear as a huge factor. Um, I, see, I, I see fear from what they don't know, fear from what they've experienced, fear from what people have told them. Uh, basically a whole bunch of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with me directly. Um, and um, that and the fact that it has, it, it again, just requires a bit of loop and, and, um, Patience, moving patience. Believe me. I mean, to to back what I'm saying, I have had several all anal series. I had uh, with West Coast. I had Jack's anal initiations, which was like two girls in every scene, and both of them took it in the ass. You know, 
Um, and I had, what, like four volumes of that or something like that? Um, or maybe just two. <laughs> but, but it's enough to prove a point. <laughs> I had uh, Jack in the Ass at Boyer Media. And it really just a long list of girls who were able to accommodate me anally. You know, I've had all anal volumes of certain things. You know what I mean? It's just a matter of practice, like anything else. Anything you practice, you will get good and better at. And that's it. So, but you can't, these are things you can't rush. You can't just drop 600 pounds on a man. First time out, you're going to die, you know. But you can build him up to it. And same thing with, with uh, you know, with the anus. You can't just, you know, take two pounds of <laughs> dick and shove it into a girl, right? But with some lube and some patience and some practice, you can build up to it. I've, I've had many, I've, I have had many first-timers, you know what I mean? In other words, there have been girls, if you can, if you can fathom this, there have been several girls who their first anal experience was with me. The gentle giant. Indeed. Indeed. I'm very experienced, man. I know what I'm doing. I'm saying I'm not even really a porn star. I'm more of a magician. There you go. You're the Harry Houdini. Really? You can no make doubt. pythons disappear. Exactly. That's what I. That is what I do. Yes. Feast your eyes. <laughs> Shazam. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of making pythons disappear, I want to talk about them disappearing in a different orifice. Has any porn starlet, porn performer? ever been able to deep throat you um that would be a matter of interpretation there are different views on what deep throat is first of all um so for example if if there's a guy who's Eh, three inches, four inches long, you know. And uh, he's like, yeah, this chick deep-throated me. I'm like, is it really deep-throating if you're not really reaching her throat? Just saying. Um, and then on the other hand, people will say it's deep-throating if the girl gags. That's all it is. Well, she gagged on it, so it's deep-throating. I remember the Linda Lovelace deep throat where it's like, okay, that is a big dick, and it is clearly disappearing all the way down her throat. I can see her larynx pushing forward to accommodate it, and um, her nose is well into his scrotum. <laughs> I mean, there is nowhere left for her to go, right? <laughs> that is it. She can basically tongue his taint, is what I'm saying, okay? Um, that was deep in my, you know in my day and from my, from my understanding when your nose is up against pelvis and there's just nowhere else for you to go and uh yeah you've got something considerable lodged in your throat <laughs> like deep in your throat then that's what it is hence the name um so that being said um there have been girls who have been nose to pelvis on me before i think there is like there are three that come to mind. Amber Rain, who I mentioned earlier, is one. She definitely had nose up against the pelvis. Um, there was um, a girl named uh, Annette Schwartz, 
who was probably the... Actually, now that I'm referencing Amber Rain, I remember at one point I said that... Uh, there was one point in my career where I said that um, Annette Schwartz was the first, right? Technically not. Well, again, it all depends on your... And I'm going to explain that. I have never been completely hard when these things happened. Never. Uh, so I've never been fully engorged when when it happened. So nobody has ever deep throated me, you know, all the way, you know, to tell this when I was fully engorged. Um, so that being said, the first one to do it when I was not fully engorged was Amber, Amber Rain. The second would have been uh, Annette Schwartz, right? Now, I think I gave so much credit to Annette Schwartz because I was definitely more engorged with her, and I could actually feel myself knowing further uh, than I did with Amber. With Amber, I was absolutely soft, and it was just a matter of just mashing as much as I could in her mouth. <laughs> uh, just because I wanted to feel the experience and see it done, it was visually appealing at the time, right? She wanted to get it done. She's like, I'm going to get it. I was like, all right, handle it. Um, now, with Annette, you could actually, I could actually feel it going past, you know, her uvula, you know what I mean? It's accessing the throat, right? It's like, wow, I'm actually in here. I'm, I'm actually in throat. This is, this is actually throat. This is, this is not mash a bunch of soft dick into the mouth. This is throat. <laughs> so that's, that's the first time I, I never felt that, right? Then there was another girl who surpassed the two of them because I was even more engorged and it was easier for her to do. Um, and that was uh, Mahogany Bliss, was her name. Uh, she's a black girl. I'm trying to remember whether it was uh, in a blackjack title or whether it was uh, Black Bottom Girls. I'm, I'm inclined to think it was a blackjack title. Um, but... Uh, yeah, Miss Mahogany Bliss, as far as I'm concerned, is, is the queen of the deep jack, uh, the, the jack deep throat. Mahogany Bliss, the, she she would have been, of the three, she would have been the most accommodating. She accommodated the most. So, yeah. That being said, have I accessed someone's throat before? Yes. So, because of that, has anyone ever been able to deep throat me? Yes. Have I ever been fully engorged when it happened? No. I'm looking for that one, though. <laughs> you're out there and you're thinking of that shit. You know, I will also say this. Everybody who has claimed, outside of Annette Schwartz, everybody who has claimed to be a deep throat queen has been vanquished by the Jack. Oh, okay. Vanquished, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically the ones came in, like, I could do that, and this and that, whatever, blah, 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 murdered them every single time, with the exception of Annette. Annette was very confident. Annette was, you know, um, very experienced. I didn't know about Annette, and she had some serious background in, in, uh, in Europe, some serious, serious, serious background that I knew nothing about, right? Um, and I didn't find it out until, you know, after but yeah, she definitely knew what she was capable of. So it wasn't a matter of whether she, she never doubted herself whatsoever and she never quit. She never did. She's like, it's going to happen. I'm making it happen. I'm not going to leave here until it happens. And she made it happen. Um, but uh, even though uh, I say that, um, 
because Mahogany Bliss never was, she was never the boastful one. She was never like, oh, I'm the queen of the deep field with that, blah, blah, blah. And oddly enough, she was the one who was most accommodating. Um, so yeah, but everybody else who came over like, oh, I'm a deep field queen, I can do this, that, that, whatever, blah, 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 shut down. Absolute shut down. Like, I can't bring shut down. <laughs> You're blocking my windpipe. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not even in your throat and I'm blocking your windpipe. So yeah, shut down. You've been in the game for 15 years. You've been doing scenes, well, I should say a little over 15 years. So you've been doing all these scenes and whatnot. And typically, as we discussed earlier in this part of the interview, the scene ends, of course, with the pop shot. You gotta try to have a good pop. So my question for you is, do you do anything in particular to maintain a consistent pop shot? Are you the type of person that, you know, watches what they eat, eats certain things, you know, make sure you, you know, you eat these fruits, eat this, that, or the other, take a supplement, whatever, whatever, whatever. Are you the type of person that makes sure that you, um, you know, sort of make sure that you're, like, basically abstinent for a particular amount of time before a scene is shot, if you know that a, sheen, that a scene's coming up, to make sure that the pop is good? Like, what goes into your preparation for the pop shot? Everything that you mentioned. Okay. Absolutely everything that you mentioned. Now, I didn't start off that way because when I started off, I was like 23. So I had shit for everybody. <laughs> no problem. Like, oh, did you need some nuts? Because I've got that. <laughs> However, I am now 38, right? Uh, so, um, and I'm not saying that this or that that. I'm just saying that uh, as far as males and, and physiology, things they change, man. That's it. You don't produce the way you used to produce, and you don't reproduce the way you used to produce. Um, so now I am definitely mindful of it. Uh, I've always been someone to uh, not try to eat a whole bunch of crap. I really enjoy fruit. I don't eat a lot of candy. Uh, I don't eat an awful lot of uh, red meat. I understand it has an effect on, on the smell and taste. And, and it's just true. I mean, you get out what you put in. So your diet definitely has an effect. So, um, you know, I don't know what cum tastes like, but I listen to girls because girls, you know, they taste my cum. <laughs> so when they're like, hey, Jack, your cum tastes pretty good. Do you do this and do you do that? I'm like, well, yes, I do. Like, oh, you don't do a lot of this or that, do you? I'm like, well, no, I don't. How do you know all about all this about me, uh, my cum sucking friend? I'm like, well, I can taste it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, well, fantastic. I think it's a great skill. If you're a girl who can tell men's diet by how they're not taste, I think, I think you're somebody I'd like to hang out with. <laughs> I have a lot of questions for you. Dietary questions and shit. Okay, now what do you think about this? Ah. All right, cool. Okay, what do you think about this? Ah. I was trying to get this for I want to know what you think about it. Definitely want to marry. It's better than Weight Watchers, man. I want somebody to let me know about my diet in that fashion. Um, as far as um, abstinence, if I know I'm doing a scene um, tomorrow, then I'll try not to, you know, have sex that night. Uh, or if I'm not, you know, necessarily prone to to do it that day, then I won't do it the day before. Uh, and that. I, I try to limit my scenes, like I was talking about before. 
for the very same reason, you know, I don't want to, you know, do this scene and this scene and this scene, and then by the time, you know, I uh, uh, am performing for this person, I can still perform, still get my dick together, and still fuck whatever, blah blah blah. But you know, a man only produces a certain amount of sperm and semen per day. And the older he gets, the less he produces. This is just male physiology. It's just how it works. So the more you deplete yourself, the longer it's going to take to, repro- to reproduce, to regain that. So, yeah, everything from from things to make sure I have a decent volume, to make sure it has a decent taste, to make sure it has a decent texture, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, uh, food, uh, water intake, rest abstinence, all that good jazz. Not so much for the supplements, though. Um, I mean, there's there's some people who will tell you, okay, hey, zinc is the way to go, man. You totally made up with zinc, so you want to, you know, make sure you take in some zinc. Uh, some will go as far as say, hey, you want to have chelated zinc because it's easier to digest, pre-digest it, whatever, chelated zinc. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying I don't personally notice any difference. Um... I've tried it, and again, yeah, I don't personally know it's any different. Um, there's other people that will tell you uh, you want to take these. Uh, what's, what's the other pound? Is zinc and what's the other? Oh, the protein, right? You want to get the whole bunch of protein, right? So you want to take these supplements, these supplement shakes, and this and that, and blah blah blah. So that goes twofold. I'm not saying that it doesn't increase volume because again, I don't know. I haven't seen any difference. But what girls say is that when you do all these extra supplements, you can taste it and it tastes bad, right? Girls are saying, hey, this, this doesn't taste like the business. It tastes like you've been doing those shakes. And they will let people know. They'll definitely let me know. Like, you know, um, don't do this, don't do that. When you do this, it tastes like this, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So basically, I just try to keep a, a decent, you know, high-fiber fruit diet, you know, and I, I don't really think about it too much. I just I enjoy grapes. I enjoy watermelon. I enjoy strawberries. I enjoy you know cantaloupe, honeydew. I enjoy stuff like that. So I eat it because I like it. It just you know it has a cool side effect. It keeps me calm. Let me tell you. Listeners, hopefully you all are taking notes so that you can make sure your spunk tastes good for your partner. Shout out to Spunky. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jack. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've run out of time, and I still have many more questions to ask you about your career and the business, as well as your thoughts on certain things in the industry. So, are you willing to come back for a part four? I don't think so. Episodes! Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic, man. So before I let you go, once again, fill the listeners in on exactly how they can find you on the web, social media, all the goodies. Here's how you can do it. Um, I'm on Facebook. My fan page is uh, facebook.com slash jacknapiafanpage. Um, and most of the things that I'm doing currently can be found there. Uh, I have a regular page, which is Facebook.com slash Jack eight one eight Napier and some more of my, you know, private intimate things and thoughts might be you know probably gonna be shared there. I've got a Twitter account. My Twitter account is going to be at Jack Napier Live. I've got an Instagram account. 
and my Instagram account is going to be at Jack Napier Live. I've actually got another Instagram account which shows a whole bunch of girls that I work with or just met or hung out with that uh, like to rock that same 818 chain, and that is at 818, oh, I'm sorry, that's at Rock the Chain on Instagram, at Rock the Chain. Um, and, oh, also, before I let you go, man, Jack is all about the charities. Jack is all about the helping out. Jack is all about kids, man. Um, and, again, in 11 days, I'm going to be participating in the Ronald McDonald House Charities Walk for Kids out there at Exposition Park uh, on April 12th. So, um, if you would like to sponsor me, right, all the information is definitely going to be on those social media links that I gave you. And if you're like, hey, Jack, I'm all about that, and you just know you're going to jump right on into it, you can go to tinyurl, that's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash Jack's Walk for Kids. J-A-C-K-S-W-A-L-K-F-O-R-K-I-D-S. Jack's Walk for Kids. Tinyurl.com slash Jack's Walk for Kids. And you can pin in your donation right there and say, hey, Jack, love you, support you, thanks for doing what you do for the kids. And I will definitely shout you out and put your name on my walk t-shirt as a sponsor because it means a lot to me. Real talk. Fantastic, man. Well, Jack, I certainly want to thank you so much for the interview, for coming back for part three. Absolutely. It's my honor. I appreciate you having me. Awesome, man. And listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning into One on One with Poppy Chulo, our 100th broadcast. Tune in for... 100? I know. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Amazing. Yeah. Tune in for brand new episodes of One on One with Poppy Chulo every Wednesday and Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific. You can download this episode and many more by visiting poppychuloradio.com forward slash archives. Registered users will gain access to the Poppy Chulo Radio archives of previously aired broadcasts. With that, Jack Napier and I would like to once again wish you and yours a wonderful night. Good night, listeners. Good night and thank you again. Thanks for listening to One-on-One with Poppy Chulo. To contact us with any of your questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns, email us at contact at poppychuloradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 305-515-8620. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash poppychuloradio and like us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Be sure to listen again next week as we continue to showcase exclusive interviews with some of the adult industry's most popular male performers. This is Ben Patrick Johnson saying good night and have a wonderful week. <laughs>